Yeah, you, you know, I could really go for some text maxium right now. Oh, yeah. Well, you need to scavenge those supercomputers. Why don't you get those <laughs> get those cell chips out of those PS3s and get some text maxium? Shoot the core, cast. Welcome to Shoot the Corecast, the official companion podcast to the RF Generation Shmup Club. This is the family-friendly, shmup-themed podcast that would really like to see sharks with blazing lasers attached to their foreheads. From RFGeneration.com, I am Metal Fro, known throughout other parts of the interwebs as the Game Boy Guru. And, as always, I have with me today... Addicted, also known as Addicted to Shmups. Indeed. And Arv Generation is where you want to be, arvgeneration.com. That is where we host the Shmup Club every month. So you can come and join in and play along with us with the Shmup of the Month that we're playing. There's also the regular community playthrough that's hosted by The Single Banana and Grey Ghost 81. We have great forums where you can come and have good conversation with people, especially with these playthroughs. We also have a huge database that you can search and uh, a lot of games that are listed there. You can create a, a collection list there so you can track your game collection. You can also create a wish list. And we have sale and trade lists and uh, posts in the forum for trading and selling. And so lots of cool resources there. And we also have a Discord channel, uh, which Addicted and I are both members of. So come chat us up. Yep, and I believe that the pain you, yourself with submissions is coming up soon. For those of you who don't know, that's when you submit stuff such as images or UPC codes or other stuff into the variations or new titles into the database, and the person who ends up getting the most gets a prize. They haven't announced the prizes yet, but I believe last time it was like $50 gift card to Amazon or something like that. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah, I, I really need to submit a few things, because I know there are a handful of games I have in my collection that are not in the database, and uh, I don't have a good scanner right now to, to do photos and or, uh, you know, scans of, like, the cover and the cartridges or the discs, that kind of a thing. But uh, I'll have to figure out a way I can make that happen. Indeed, I'm going to be adding some myself. I going to try and see if I can find a couple Skylanders that no one has entered in. Ooh, that might be tough, because uh, Zagnorch may have already entered them all twice. Oh, yes, and we're going to mention him again at the end of the podcast when we talk about the game for September. That's right. But first, let's cover the game that we covered in August, and that was Blazing Lasers, a.k.a. Gunhead. It was released for the TurboGrafx-16, the PC Engine, and you can also find it on the Wii U eShop. like to shout out our participants for the month of August. They were Metalfro, Addicted, Crabmaster2000, Duke Togo, Zoido, Goku, and Dougley007. 
Yes, and uh, I forgot to put it in our outline here, but we did have a late entrant. Uh, D. Tungsten jumped in on the last day of the month and posted a score. Oh, impressive. Those always the people who join in late and you know, post in a high score. you got to watch out for them. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, as has been the new tradition, we have a question of the month that I put out on Twitter. Uh, once again, uh, this is not original. You're, I'm completely copying what uh, Great Ghost 81 and Single Banana are doing on the RF Generation Playcast, but I thought it was a fun idea, so why not? As the saying goes, uh, what is it? Plagiarism? No. Uh, Plagiarism is the best form of flatterism? Something like that? <laughs> I don't know. Something like that, yeah. It's uh, Imitation is the sincerest the form, form of flattery. Of flattery. Yes, yes, that is the quote. Yes. <laughs> I like the plagiarism one better myself, but here we go. Yeah. So the question of the month is, if you could change one thing about your favorite shooting game, what game is that? what the change be and why so here are a few answers that we got uh so easy racer posted and said you could that you could shoot the laughing dog in duck hunt uh and in parentheses he says you did say shooting game right uh in all seriousness i would make changes to the gradius games to deal with the deaths compounding deaths because of the lack of power-ups you know what? I gotta stop you real quick right there. Easy Racer, your wish has come true. Because in the arcade version, which you can still find a NES Repro, they got a little bit more expensive, but the Retro USB made them for the NES. But anyways, the arcade version, you could actually shoot the dog. <laughs> so if you look, if you go to Mame or you want to find the track down the Retro USB version, you can shoot the dog to your heart's content. There you go. Uh, but yeah, I, I definitely feel what he's saying in terms of Gradius with the power-ups. Recovery in Gradius games can be difficult, and there are there are some spots where, at least at my skill level, it's it's basically impossible to recover. So I I understand where he's coming from. Oh yeah, Gradius syndrome is one of the hardest things to get over. There, <clears throat> it's something that we'll talk a little bit about when we talk about our uh, shmup of the month, Gunhead, aka Blazing Lasers here. And the, the changes that they made for this, but the Gradius series in particular is just known for <clears throat> you go and go and go, and then once you die, yep, you're done. Yeah. Uh, Mark MSX, host of the Electric Underground podcast, says I would change the erratic slowdown in DDP or Dodon Pachi so that I don't have random slingshot bullets murking me. And, uh, he apparently figured out how to uh, get past that because he recently scored his goal of getting a two all in that game. And so he was able to beat the final true last boss on the game out on the uh, second loop and uh, recorded that run. It's up on YouTube and uh, it's pretty impressive. You know, he was at the last boss. He'd used up all of his bombs and he just managed to, to dodge everything correctly so congrats, congrats mark. mark hey uh, you know i think that we'll see if we can maybe head to the dollar store and get like one of those cheap spaceships or something then we'll spray paint it gold and we'll give them a trophy or something <laughs> there you go uh, that's a fun idea uh all right at karina dea says zanak nes 
add difficulty settings to make it harder. Um, well, they must I guess... be using that Famicom recorder, right, to me to uh, hack in a little bit. Yeah, that's it's... a good question. I I don't know. That means that game is hard enough. I'm sure that was a little bit of a joke, but if not, and that was real, congrats to you because I found the game to be really difficult. Yeah. Uh, Duke Togo <laughs> uh, says, Space Megaforce, I wouldn't change much except my skill level. <laughs> uh, let's see here. No At No Longer Gone says, Gunmack or any shmup, save points. Or at least so you don't have to go back to the start of the game, in all caps. Not in Gunnack, but in so many other others on NES or SNES. Uh, yeah, I could see that. I mean, uh, checkpoints are definitely a, a help for any shmup when you die. Not have to go back to the beginning of the level. Um, I think that was one of the problems with, if I remember right, Super R-Type on the SNES... Uh, when that came out, it didn't have checkpoints either. Even though R-Type 2, the game it's based on, has checkpoints. I think Super R-Type, if I remember correctly, does not have any. So you end up going back to the beginning of the level every time. Yeah, checkpoints are... I would say, for me, it would depend upon how long the levels are. If it's something as short as, say... Um, <clears throat> Excuse me. If if it's something as short as the game that we covered in June, there with the um, whose name is escaping me at the moment, <laughs> it, the uh, the one that Sarah did the soundtrack for. Oh sure, Ghostblade. Ghostblade. Thank you. If it's something where levels are as short as Ghostblade, I don't really think that checkpoints are needed. However, if you've got levels that seem to go on forever and ever and ever, like Gunblade. On there, if if you have mid bosses in there, you're gonna need. So, like, if if Akari Warriors was a shmup, you're gonna need checkpoints. If you takes you to the back of the beginning of the level, you're just gonna rage quit that game. I I completely agree that checkpoints are good there in help with the flow of the game. But if you if you're dealing with maybe like like Strikers 1945 does not need checkpoints because the levels are so short on there. And I I could see some cases maybe where the checkpoints would be detrimental to what you're trying to do. Like Gradius, if you're trying to deal with the power-ups and then you get stuck somewhere, to go back to the beginning of the level would be a boon. Yeah, I mean, it really depends on, on the design. I think Instant Respawn makes sense in certain games, depending on what the power-up structure is and how frequently you can get them. Or, you know, games like Strikers, where when you respawn, generally speaking, they're going to give you at least one power-up and oftentimes you're going to get, have an opportunity to pick up at least two. Uh, and so for a game like that, that works well. But for a game where it's very more, it's more rigidly structured, then if you go back to the checkpoint and have an opportunity to grab a power up or two or three, then at least, you know, it's more balanced in that sense. Yeah. And I definitely agree on the initial idea. You have to have balance in the flow of the game. And a way to learn the routing and the, and how the game is gonna, the gameplay flows out. And that's one of the reasons why, as much as Gradius Three gave me frustration, or at least Gradius Three Arcade, the ability to at least play and try different sections without having to deal with all the lead up into a particular section was wonderful, and the reason why I didn't rage quit it. Sure. 
Speaking of Gradius 3, uh, at Bring Gradius, or Bring Back Gradius on Twitter, said, Gradius 3 Arcade, make it even harder than it already is, just because I think it'd be funny. And uh, <laughs> I can see that. Um, I don't know if I think it's particularly funny, other than in sort of a schadenfreude kind of way. But yeah, I mean, why not? Yeah, you're, he's giving Konami ideas here. They're going to make a Kaizo Gradius. <laughs> <laughs> for, for, or what's that thing that they used to use? Super Mario Brothers for super players? Oh, sure. Type, type thing. Yeah, I, yeah. Could, I could see that on there. And someone, someone just building that just because here. Or shmups for super players. That sounds like a tongue twister there. Yeah, it would be pretty funny. I'll give you that. But then, it, oh, I don't. I don't think that the game would sell very well. Pretty, you'd be dealing with a lot of Steam refunds. Yeah. Uh, Crabmaster two thousand uh, from Arf Generation and from the uh, Arf Generation Collector Cast uh, is at Kelsey Polnick on Twitter. He says, "Lords of Thunder." Make it cheaper so more people can play it and know how great it is. And uh, someone must have heard you, Krabby, because it's going to be included on the TurboGrafx-16 Mini. Now, I realize that $100 is not cheap uh, for just the one game, but there will be lots of great stuff on that to play. And since M2 is is involved in the project, I have a suspicion that uh, it'll probably be pretty good. So I'm looking forward to actually playing that uh you know the turbo cd version of that i am too i am definitely looking forward to playing and, and i've i've had a chance to actually play lords of thunder on the sega cd and it's definitely definitely a good game i personally liked the winds of thunder a little a little bit more more than the lords of thunder but you can't go wrong with either game sure well Either way, that soundtrack is killer, and uh, when the TurboGrafx-16 Mini comes out, I will definitely be firing that one up to uh, to play and possibly to stream. All right, you stream and I'll be there. Ah, there you go. And finally, at Super Bigger Wow says Helsinker make the behind stages less boring and replace glorious symbol with something else. Uh, now I don't. I'm not that familiar with Hellsinker. It's a little bit obscure in terms of of uh, Japanese doujin shmups. Although it did just recently get a Steam release, uh, and so there's going to hopefully be more exposure to it. But I've I've seen it and I've seen some plays of it, and it just looks very obtuse. So that's one of those games that uh, if we ever decide to cover that in the shmup club and for the podcast, we may have to do a little research beforehand so that we actually know what's going on in that game. Sounds like a good one to try for the, for 2020. <laughs> Maybe so. Okay. Why don't we start off with uh, talking about our August, 2020, excuse me. <laughs> We're going forward in time here. Our August, 2019 shmup game of the month. And that is blazing lasers. So, Blazing Lasers was a joint project between Hudson Soft and Compile. Now, for those of you who want to go back to our earlier episode earlier this year, Zanuck was our first Compile shmup that we covered. 
here. They're known for the power, numbered power-up systems, such as Weapon 1, Weapon 2, Weapon 3, Weapon 4, with each one doing their own thing. Can you think of any other stuff that would be sort of a compile template for a shooter? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, one of the other things that Compile did was that they had games like the Aleste series where you would shoot a drone ship and it would shoot out these little chips that you would collect to kind of slowly power up whatever your primary weapon was. Uh, or like in Xanak that we talked about where you shoot the boxes and then these white power-up chips would would be there. And so if you collect enough of those, then you could bump your weapon up a level. Uh, and so that's one of the one of the compile things that is kind of common with their games. All right, and uh, we're gonna switch over to Hudson Publisher in this case, Hudson Soft Co. Ltd. Kabushiki Gaisha Hudson Softo started in May 1973 initially as an amateur radio shop. In 1975, they began selling personal computing products then later began creating video game software, as well as video game hardware. In 1983, Hudson became the first third-party publisher for Nintendo's Famicom console. In 1983, that was also the year that Sega released the SG-1000, if I remember correctly. It was. So uh, definitely a lot of innovation and competition in that 1983. Hudson Soft is well known for several series of games, such as Bomberman series, Adventure Island, Bonk, or BC Genjin titles, and the one that we'll be talking about in a little bit here, the Star Soldier series of shmups. In 1987, Hudson partnered with Japanese technology company NEC to develop their own games console, which became known as the PC Engine, known here as the TurboGrafx-16, which, as we all know, it didn't end up very well, but thankfully is coming back next year. I believe it's February 2020 that there was... No, it's March. March. 2020, yep. Among the earliest titles on the fledgling TurboGrafx-16 slash PC Engine was Blazing Lasers, a excuse me, collaboration between Hudson and developer Compile, known for Xanic and the last day series of shooters at that time. While not officially part of the Star Soldier canon, it shares similarities with the three Star Soldier games that appeared on the console. First is Superstar Soldier, Final Soldier, and Soldier Blade. I have tried uh, Superstar Soldier and Soldier Blade, and Su Soldier Blade is a classic in my opinion. It's great, and Superstar Soldier surprised me. I definitely was more impressed with it and played well, and the mechanics overall was incredibly well put together package than I I expected more of an earlier look to it and was pleasantly surprised. What's your opinion on the Star Soldier series on the PC Engine slash TurboGrafx-16? Yeah, I really like Super Star Soldier. I kind of like that there's a lot of weapon variety for you to choose as, you know, before you kind of go into the game so you can kind of sort of pick a weapon loadout. Soldier Blade is a very tight experience and it's one that I, I like quite a bit. Final Soldier I haven't warmed up to as much. There are things I like about it, and there are a lot of people who like it and who have been singing its praises recently, so that's probably one that I need to go back to. Uh, unfortunately, we never got it here in North America, but uh, it's on the 
the PC Engine Best Soldier Collection on PSP, so I've got it there. So I just need to give it some more time, and and uh, maybe something will click with me. And we know exactly how to give it you some more time. We'll make it a shmup game of the month for 2020. <laughs> All right, and hallmarks of both Hudson and compiled shooters can be seen within the game. The default weapon is very reminiscent of the standard SARS soldier weapon, and the weapon numbering scheme, along with the weapon power-up methodology, is directly taken from Zanuck and Alesti, both compile games, which we spoke of earlier. There is also a caravan elements in a couple places, which is a Hudson trademark. Oh my goodness, boy, is there... Tr- there are caravan elements in so many of these Hudson games on there. We talked about earlier starting out with uh, Summer Carnival Recca and then going on with the uh, Alzadik in there. And then we had Nexer. There, I know that there was a baseball title for some reason in there for the. the uh, so but though, when, I'm th- when you think of caravan mode. Nexer, uh, Rekka, and Alzadek are the three that come to my mind. How about you? Yeah, and what I didn't realize is that at some point um, there was a special version of Gunhead, uh, you know, the Japanese counterpart to the game we're talking about here today, that was used as the uh, carnival, one of the carnival games for their carnival shoot 'em up uh, competitions. And so it was, uh, it was a specifically retooled version of the game that had like just a time attack mode, like you were, you know, a score attack mode, like most of the other caravan shooting titles. And so that, uh, I didn't get a chance to try that out, but, okay. uh, I, it's kind I, of interesting. I can fill in a little bit on it. Uh, caravan mode is usually, it's a score attack mode, so you're going to be giving it as you a set amount of time, which is usually between five and ten minutes, in order to get the highest scores you can. And depending upon whether you, if you didn't reach the end of the stage, it doesn't matter because the game's just going to go off of how much time you spent on there. In the case of the Gunhead uh, Carnival Special Edition, you can play for two minutes or you can play for five minutes. You run through what is effectively done in a stage three in the regular version of Gunhead or Blazing Lasers, making your way all the way up to the mid-boss, and the mid-boss is actually is the stage one end boss. Oh. That, that has been pulled, the, the tri-wing. Right. And then after you beat that, the game goes on as normal, and then you get up to the that little spider. That thing's really weird, but the <clears throat> spider at the end of the level, and once you beat that, then the, the game is over. It's definitely interesting. It's a nice oddity. If you're a collector, definitely track it down, but you're going to be paying like 250 bucks for about maybe, well, as you know, the game's time, so two to five minutes worth of playtime. Right. It's not worth 250 bucks for most people. Right. And, and realistically... Stage three, you know, that that contains that sort of those caravan elements with all the stuff to destroy and points to earn. And so that is really, I can see why they, A, why they pulled stage three for that. And B, maybe that was part of why they designed it that way so that they could then later use that as as a caravan level. Yeah, it's, it's also, as we'll talk about a little bit later, but... 
it's one of the ways that it's sort of beginning getting into later games when you hear about uh, super players. They'll be talking about games like, oh yeah, instead of playing for survival, I'm playing for score. And one of the strategies in playing for score is to die at strategic times, so that way you can always have full life and full bomb stock, and then get a bigger bonus at the end of the level. The same thing applies here, where if as you're playing through. You're not so much worrying about lives as you want. Let's say you made it through midway, then you die, then you start the level over again. That's good because then you can destroy all those objects and get a higher score. <laughs> so it's all it's all about, in some ways, gaming the system with caravan modes. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. So the original Japanese release was titled Gunhead, and this was based on a Japanese movie of the same name. All references to the film were removed in the North American version and placed with standard shooting game plot. The plot synopsis on this movie is wonderful, and it's one of the things you're not going to get anymore. So buckle in, and let's go. It's year 2038, and you're part of a computer parts scavenging crew piloting a ship, seeking out old supercomputers to scavenge components from, as well as looking for deposits of... Texmexium, a new substance that is more powerful than nuclear energy. I mean, you gotta love this stuff on there. And I know we could go with the obvious joke of yes, after Texmex, you could have something that's more powerful than a nuclear blast, but (laughs) (laughs) it's just it's so cheesy and so late 80s, early 90s it just fits real well in there. It's, It's budget. It hams it up in all the right places. Yeah, you, you know, I could really go for some Tex Maxim right oh, now. Oh, yeah. Well, you need to scavenge those supercomputers. Why don't you get those <laughs> get those cell chips out of those PS3s and get some Tex Maxim? You know, it's it's funny to think about that because uh, people, people complain about Avatar the movie with the unobtainium as the name of the, the substance that they were mining, but I don't know. I'm not sure if unobtainium or Texmexium is a worse name for, you know, an elusive element. Oh, I mean, just think about it. Every time I hear this Texmexium or unobtainium, I just think back to Command and Conquer with Tiberium. And, and that's that tongue-in-cheek with that series, too. I, they know what they were doing. And, you know, I, yeah. we still have a good laugh with it. All right. So. I'm I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Tex Mexium is the better name because at least that makes me want to go to Carlos O'Kelly's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a lot of people going for tacos after this. All right. <laughs> so, you know, so if you're not looking for Tex Mexium and you're actually playing Blazing Lasers, you'd be getting to your battle station space jockey. You're in the for the fight of your life. In this, for the outers, ultimate outer space shoot 'em up, blazing lasers. See at the helm of your 80 tons of awesome firepower, a gunhead starfighter. You just run into the ruthless Dark Squadron. Oh, much better than Dark Helmet. <laughs> Dangerously close to Earth, they threaten to destroy the world with their eight super weapons. I was going to want to say, I wonder why the only eight. I was like, well, how much do you think we'll need to destroy the world? Well, uh, if the first one doesn't hit, at least we can do it seven more times. Huh. <laughs> it takes that much text mixing. Only you and your starfighters blazing lasers and bombs can stand between them in certain destruction. 
plan your strategy and blow and power up with eight different enhancements that appear. You only need more than straight shooting to fight your way out of this one. You know, it, it could have just said like uh, spaceship shoot lasers, pew pew. You know, and that that would have been the plot for this. Thing. You yeah. gotta love it. I mean, it's so in your face attitude, early attitude area in a world that needs stuff that blows up. Yeah, it's just, it's just, it's great. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not overly complicated. It, it doesn't need to be. It's not like, you know, a wizard or, or a ship with one arm is coming from the moon. Stuff needs to be blown up and you've got a ship that doesn't. Yep. In a world that's hungry for Tex-Mexium. <laughs> Oh boy! We thought people were getting sick of the. Uh, it came from the moon, or, or in, in the era of great chaos jokes. Yeah, well, I'll, t- I'll tell you what. I watched the first few minutes of Gunhead, the the film, just to kind of see that cheesy plot synopsis, but then also to sort of get an idea of, you know, how low budget it was, and you know, it wasn't completely terrible. I mean. They're certainly not going to be uh, winning any awards over Industrial Light and Magic, but the the special effects were at least reasonably decent for the time that it came out. And, uh, oh, but man, the dialogue is so bad. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, to give everybody a, an idea of uh, how much this movie ties in, when it was re-released on the Virtual Console... It was named Blazing Lasers. Yeah. I mean, part of it's due to copyright, but that, that shows you how much they care <laughs> about that. So why, why don't you fill us in on the gameplay of Blazing Lasers? Okay. Well, uh, there are nine stages in the game. Uh, the first eight are unique. And then the final stage is sort of a boss rush where you have short enemy segments in between and then, um, you know, a successive boss rush with different bosses throughout the game that, of course, then lead up to the final boss encounter. The uh, stage bosses uh, are as follows. So in stage one, you fight, as you mentioned before, the the Triclops, which is sort of a, a three-way boss where it sort of has the center section and then these kind of wing deals that separate and shoot these big lasers at you. It's basically a triangle that splits into three parts and you have to destroy each part, right? Kind of, yeah. And each one has sort of a little red weak spot. Uh, And that's sort of a running theme through some of the bosses. Uh, In stage two, you have the Gatling gun, which is the mid-boss. And then at the end of the level, you have Big Borg, which uh, looks a little bit like the uh, the gunhead mech or robot that you see on the front of the the gunhead uh, jewel case for the PC Engine version, and uh, I can see that the that the mech in the movie was sort of like the inspiration for that boss. Yeah, big Borg. Does that sound like that should be at something you get at a convenience store? <laughs> like a big gulp? Oh, well, big gulp. I was just thinking something like someone, like maybe some sort of weird Tex Tex Maxim combination, or like a hot dog or something. Come on down where you can get a big Borg and a big gulp for only a dollar fifty nine. 
<laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, either that or, or the Borg assimilated a really large species. So you have Borg and then you have Big Borg. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, in stage three, you fight Tarax the Great, which is a sort of big, uh, I would say spider, but it only has six legs, so it's just sort of like a space insect kind of thing. Yeah, it it, it, and it shoots out this tri. I don't know what it is with triangles in this game, but it shoots out a triangle to sort of block your shots, and then it, then just fires out smaller insects. Yeah, stage four is the space prowler, which is this weird sort of pink uh, alien flesh uh, thing with these green pods that you have to shoot and destroy and it's very grotesque looking uh very sort of life force or apodox kind of vibe going on with that boss stage five there is the demon rock which is this big boulder that flies around the screen and then opens up to reveal what apparent what really looks like just a couple of dragon heads that are just sort of attached to this mechanism in the center of it. I don't know, it's really weird. But you shoot that the heads, and they'll fire these purple orbs at you. And uh, so you have to avoid those, and then obviously shoot the, the two heads. Yeah, um, that seems to be a beloved of a recurring theme here, where the bosses will split into pieces, and then you just have to either aim down the center, or use your split weapon to aim it. And sort of shoot it at, at an angle, but a, a lot of these bosses on here, you do sort of. Um, I don't want to say shoot the core, but <laughs> you have to shoot the center of them. Right. They'll just split open. You have to shoot parts on here. Now, next one here. Well, go ahead and announce it. Yeah, stage six. Uh, the boss is the space parasite, and this boss is a jerk. Um, yeah, it's. It's this really weird-looking thing that comes out of this sort of exoskeleton tube thing, and the boss is only vulnerable when it pops all the way out of this exoskeleton. There are a couple of pieces that split off from it on the top and bottom that you can take out, but the, the center portion of the boss is only vulnerable when it's out of this exoskeleton. Yeah. And w while you're fighting it, it shoots out these sort of little green spiny things that kind of rotate around the screen and come at you. And oh, it's just, it's a terrible boss. I hate it. <laughs> I keep calling it the space pickle. The space pickle. <laughs> I mean, that's what it is, right? It, it, once it comes out of the jar, you can damage it. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, it just shoots smaller pickles. It's a space uh, pickle. That's good stuff. Not to be confused for the AG, AVGN copyrighted one. Oh, yes. That one's not family friendly. No, the space uh, pickle. Space pickle. Yep. Uh, okay. Uh, stage seven. Uh, the boss is simply known as Battle Tank, and. That is exactly what it is. Uh, it is a tank with several weak points that shoot lasers, and uh, they are indeed blazing, and you have to take out those weak points and then focus on the uh, kind of rear center portion to take out that, and then these two side deals that shoot out missiles at you to take that boss out. 
Stage eight, uh, the boss is known as Skulldor, and it is what it sounds like. It's a, it's a giant uh, skull with muscles and stuff on it, but no skin, that floats around in space with these giant blue eyes and shoots out these rotating orbs at you, and you have to shoot at it and damage it. And then once you, once you damage it enough, then it sort of changes into a second form where, I don't know, it becomes this weird sort of alien skeleton face thing that pops around the screen and moves very quickly and uh, shoots out more orbs for you to dodge and destroy. Yeah, this one more so than the uh, <clears throat> stage four boss screams life force to me, or life force boss. Like, this is what would happen if they... If Konami made their their very own life force for the PC engine and didn't have to deal with as many parental controls as they did for or parental constrictions as they did working with Nintendo, yeah, I could see that. This or even I'd say this could fit in an R type game. Potentially, it, yeah, it has a very Geiger s quality to it. Versus the the space prowler just sort of looks like someone says, "All right." We're going to grow some muscle, and then someone says, well, let's just, we'll make some heart or something in here. That is, that one's sort of like gross. I guess, I guess the def definition of uh, the space prowler looks more like you get out of some like um, Stu Goodbody or something like that. You just see a, a person who you can see with the insides for. It's not really gross. It's just, or like the, the models that you see in a uh, medical office. It's not really gross or f that offensive. You're just like, oh, well, that's different. Yeah. The uh, <laughs> skull door is something that you could see might possibly fit as an extra or just something in a horror movie or uh, John Romero movie. Sure. It's very, very, very striking and very different on there. Or it could just have been someone goes, hey, did you know that was unused sprite from Splatterhouse? It, it definitely has that type of vibe to it. Yeah. Now, Stu Goodbody, you're uh, you're showing your age there with that reference. <laughs> uh, yeah, but then we, again, we, so am I because I recognized it. <laughs> well, we get we get like six people who Google that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, and then in stage nine is the boss rush. And the bosses uh, reappear in... Uh, some of the bosses reappear. It's not all of them. And so uh, it starts with Big Borg, and then you get the Gatling gun, which is weird because it's like the Stage 2 boss and then the Stage 2 mini-boss after that. Then Space Parasite, then Battle Tank, and then Triclops, for some reason. The Stage 1 boss reappears at the end. And then after that, you fight the final boss, which is sort of a three-phase fight. So you fight the master computer, which is this series of panels in kind of a on kind of a cylinder type deal. And it remind you, me of um, what's that the from Tron? What's that the none? Oh, master control program. Yes. Yeah, the MCP. Yeah. Well, this uh, this master computer certainly does uh, have de-resolution in mind for for your ship, but. Uh, 
Yeah, so the master computer, you shoot at these panels, they'll change color, and then once they get to sort of a, a darkish pink-red color, then they'll fly out at you and try to take you out. And you can either keep shooting it to destroy it or dodge out of the way before it rams into you. Then phase two is the space siren, which I think has to do with the movie. I think it's a tie-in to the movie because there's this sort of AI supercomputer thing that you're kind of that they're kind of fighting in the movie and it sort of merges with one of the crew members of the ship that you control in the game. Okay. Um, and so I think that's where the idea of the space siren comes in. But it's essentially this this giant woman floating in space that shoots missiles at you and then shoots lasers at you. Wait. Shoots missiles, more like just throws missiles at you. Yeah, it's really weird. Her her arms just kind of stick out, and it, yeah, it's like almost like she's throwing these these uh, missiles out at you. Yeah, and she's very cartoonish. It's almost like somebody goes, "Hey, you know, since we're borrowing elements from Life Force from Konami, could you ask us? Let's just get something from the Parodia series. <laughs> just throw it in here as as a phase two of this last boss." Is that's really what it feels like. It feels like someone was just sort of going, you know, what are we going to do? Let's see. we got something from Star Soldier. We've got something from Life Force on here. In the bubble stage, although this came out before Gradius 3, it really feels like, I'm sure many people thought this too, the bubble stage, I think, that they ripped off Gradius. So we got some Konami homages or just rip-offs in here, but it really feels like a Parodius. <laughs> Yeah, a little bit. Then the last form is actually the Dark Emperor, at least in Blazing Lasers. And that is this goofy sort of, I don't know, robot ship computer thing that flies around. There are these two front pieces that sort of jut out periodically. And when they do, that's when the boss signals its, uh, its weak point up front. And it shoots out these little balls that once they reach a certain distance out from the ship or a certain place on screen, they'll open and shoot out these uh, sort of spread of rings at you, which you see earlier in the game, there are enemies that uh, that will shoot those out. So it's, uh, it's definitely an interesting final boss fight and uh, something that the final boss fight itself, interestingly enough, is not overly difficult the boss rush getting to the final boss is difficult especially once you get to the point where you are past the battle tank getting to actually see the triclops is the difficult portion i think because they throw so much at you that uh, there's this one spot that has the enemies similar to zanak where enemies come down from both sides of the screen, and then when they reach your position, they'll close in on you. Unfortunately, there are so many of them, and they're so tightly packed in there, plus there's a whole group of other enemies that comes in that it, it makes it very difficult to evade and get through that. And then if you die and have to recover there at that spot, good luck. Yeah, stage nine with the boss rush in particular, I would say is the hardest portion of the game. 
And it's a little bit of a shame that, at least as far as to my knowledge, I haven't found any way that you could practice that over and over because you're going to be these levels and we'll get this here these levels are long yeah and if you spend all that time and you die here yes you, you have an, a way of getting out of this they thought of a way to get out of the gradius syndrome but it just sort of sucks that you don't really have as good idea of what you're doing until you and you have to spend about 45 minutes maybe 50 minutes each time in order to get back and try again. Yeah, it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty brutal there at the end. Uh, would you like to go over the primary weapon types? Will I? Of course. We have, as we talked about earlier, with the similarities to the Leste and to the Zanuck series, Compile loves doing numbered weapons, and this game being Compile developed is no exception. In this case, we have four weapons. And the first weapon is a Photon Blaster. It's a standard Vulcan type of cannon, very similar to the primary weapon in the Star Soldier series. Level 1 is a single shot. Level 2 is a double shot. Level 3 is a double shot forward and single reverse shot. And level 4 is three-way backward shot and single reverse shot. Level 5 is a five-way shot with three forward and two behind. And this is the one that I instantly thought of when I was playing Superstar Soldier. And that is exactly super the powered-up weapon from Superstar Soldier. Yeah. Did you uh, end up using this weapon a lot? I did, kind of. Um, during the course of the month after I cleared the game, I decided to go back and try to clear it with primarily using Weapon 1. I didn't quite get there, but it definitely has more utility than I thought it did. It's not as as weak a weapon as I initially thought. But yeah, Superstar Soldier, I immediately thought of that with that primary weapon. And also, even the original Star Soldier, you know, kind of has the same kind of weapon. So, yeah, I, I, I definitely used the Photon Blaster more than I thought I would. Yeah, it wasn't a primary element of any of my runs, but it definitely didn't feel like a pea shooter either. It was, it felt useful, which to me is a little bit of a rarity in these games. To, I guess it speaks that the game is pretty well balanced. And you, you definitely have options here. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to number two, which is the power wave, or uh, it can be a little hard to hear that destructo wave. Yeah. Level one is a series of waves that shoot straight out from your ship. Level 2 allows you to direct the wave left or right, depending upon your movement. Level 3 gives you a two-way wave pattern. Level 4 is a three-way. And level 5 adds additional wave that occasionally shoots out from behind your ship and loops around forward. <clears throat> this weapon, and, and number 4, I use quite a bit during my runs. Number two, or the power wave, was really good at dealing with popcorn enemies and keeping you safe, especially because it shoots out from the sides. In a lot of these enemies, you could, for the most part, the bosses, you were looking at to damage the weak spot, which was usually in the center. So by just sort of hitting to the left or to the right of the boss and just hitting it constantly with 
your power wave, it made short work of a lot of the bosses. Yeah. W- one of the nice things about this weapon, too, is that it has penetration as one of its side effects. So with a lot of, of weapons, like the Weapon 1, uh, when you shoot an enemy, it will absorb the shot, whether you hit the weak point or not. But in this case, with popcorn enemies or even bigger enemies that are kind of medium-sized things, these weapons or this weapon will penetrate those. And so when you're dealing with a lot of a lot of things like that, this weapon will cut through stuff and it, it gives you a little bit more of an ability to kind of clear the field. And moving on to number three, we have Field Thunder. Level one is straight ahead lightning laser that quickly shoots from the front of your ship. Level two sh- slows the laser down but expands it out from the straight line to provide slightly wider attack. Level 3 shoots out lasers from either side of the ship that go up and around to the front of the craft and then come together to form a snaking laser shot that travels up the screen. Level 4 shoots a series of four lasers from the ship, two behind that curve back around and shoot forward, and two from sides that go forward. Level 5 creates a web laser that fans out from the front of the ship and intertwines in a few places. Now, the Field Thunder is the lasers in Blazing Lasers. And it's one of the weapons that people look at and go, that's cool. Yeah. It's definitely something that I used, and I don't want to quite call it a beginner's trap, but as I went on with my runs, I didn't find it as useful as I thought I would. It's not To me, it wasn't the be-all, be end-all. I ended up using the number four weapon and the number two weapon a lot more, even though the number three looks really cool. Yeah, you know, I've had this game for years, and I I cleared it a decade or so ago, and so I came into this thinking, yeah, the, the laser is the great weapon, and it really is a good weapon, and it's quite useful, and I managed to clear the game with it this month, uh, or this past month, but... Yeah, I think you're right. There, There's utility in it, and it's a strong weapon, and it's worth using. But there are a couple of caveats that I think you know we can get into as we kind of go along here. One of which is the, the full power uh, level 5 is a little bit harder to wield in some ways because it does this weird sort of spiderweb pattern out from the front of the ship. But you're vulnerable on the sides unless you have a, a secondary attack type, which we'll get into here shortly. And and then power level four, you know, you got the four lasers coming up, but then there's gaps in between those. And so you really have to know how to use that effectively. Whereas level three of the laser is actually probably the most useful. And so it's a little bit of a weird, a little bit of a weird uh, scenario with that weapon. Uh, definitely and uh, we'll get into this a little bit here but if you have number three and then you hit the uh, the full fire secondary power up on here it just to me it makes the laser or the field thunder almost useless with that secondary power up just because of the way it sort of turns into a homing weapon but we'll, we'll get it we'll get into that in a little bit here <clears throat> the fourth weapon and also the last weapon is the Rain Blaster. It creates a spinning barrier around your ship that can absorb some enemy bullets 
and do damage to enemies. You're also outfitted with a forward-facing dual-shot cannon similar to the Photon Blaster. Level 1 gives you spinning barrier orb and slowly moves around the ship. Sorry, a single barrier orb. Level 2 speeds that orb up. Level 3 increases to 2 orbs moving opposite directions. Level 4 becomes 3 orbs spinning in the same direction in a tighter, more elliptical formation around your ship. And level 5 yields 4 orbs quickly spinning around your ship in a circle. Now, this weapon I initially did barely used at all until I started noticing it was destroying enemy shots. Using this in combination with full fire really started wrecking stuff with this one where you just you didn't care you would it's almost like fire and forget mode when this thing's fully powered up it chews through bosses it chews through <clears throat> like stage five can be a real pain in the butt if you don't have a powered up weapon but if you've got this going you just wreck everything on that stage <laughs> and the boss rush is made so much easier by this is it, it just nullifies all those shots you really don't have to worry too much about your position. And I think it goes for anybody who's ever played a shmup game. Is that you know people firing at you, whether it's Don Maku or your standard game. Anything that can cancel out bullets is great. And usually those are limited to bombs. And the fact that you're not having to use bombs when you're firing this is just sort of your standard shot. Almost makes this OP in my opinion. Or overpowered. Yeah, it really depends on how you wield it and being able to anticipate enemies and attacks and uh, not moving around the screen too erratically so that you're opening yourself up to bullets getting through your uh, your spinning orbs. Yeah, if you, if you combine it, I think I said this earlier, but if you combine it with full fire, this thing in the right hand is just almost unstoppable. So, I'd like to make a note here that each weapon type has a level 6, but only adds additional shielding around your ship, and does not improve the primary weapon any further. The shield will absorb one hit, so you won't lose a life, but your ship goes back to the default power level, and you'll have to collect at least one purple orb to get your level 1, <coughs> start back to your level 1 of your per current primary weapon. And power out downs in this game, but I would say are harder hitting and much more frustrating than they were in, let's say, Strikers 1945 too. Yes, I would totally agree. Uh, at least in Strikers, you only went one, you only went down one power level by touching an enemy. But in this game, if you get hit by a bullet and you're at full power, then you go right back to no power. And uh, it's, it's kind of like in a game where you die and then you instantly respawn with no power up. Now, of course, if you can, like I say, you can collect a power-up or you can grab a, uh, a power gel in order to power up your, your weapon again, but it's a little touch and go until that point. So, we had mentioned earlier that they have secondary weapons as secondary power-ups. Would you like to start us off? Yeah. So, there are four different uh, secondary weapons or, or power-ups in the game. Sub-weapons, I guess you could call them. And... Uh, the first of those is the H-Icon, which equips your ship with homing missiles. And with each subsequent pickup, uh, up to a maximum of four, you'll increase the speed of how fast the missiles move and are deployed. Uh, now, one thing that I found, a, a quick note that I'd like to mention here, and we'll shout out DJ Incompetent from the Shmups forums. Uh, he posted 
in uh, on that forum that you uh, you can have eight missiles on screen at once with the primary weapon, but apparently with weapons two through four, you max out at four missiles on screen at one time. And so I, I didn't notice that while I was playing, but thinking back to it now, yeah, that's probably right. And so there, there's a, a, an advantage in that sense of sticking with the, the standard number one weapon and then going with homing missiles because then you get a little bit more of an offensive uh, loadout. The S icon power-up gives your ship a purple shield and uh, you can strengthen strengthen the shield up to four times to give it more hit defense. Uh, shield will last uh, 100 seconds and every time your ship takes a hit that decreases by one second. When the shield is flashing a sort of red and green that means that it is nearly depleted and will disappear soon. I ended up using the shield uh, a fair amount, particularly in a couple of different levels where there are a lot of a lot of threats or some specific threats. Particularly, there's sort of a gauntlet in stage five as you're leading up to the boss that is quite difficult to get through without a shield, and so I, I used it there most of the time. It's funny that you should mention stage five there, and and I have to go back to. Um... And stage four as well. But with with those, instead of using shield, I ended up using the homing missiles. The homing missiles just wrecks it on uh, stage four, it, especially the emboss. It's funny too because if you the homing, you'll see them. They'll just sort uh, of like rotate around them, and you'll just see them moving back and forth over the boss's weak spot. Oh yeah. On, on stage four, the little heart. Once they destroy the body, and you get the little heart. Yep. There's like a four little missiles just waiting there to strike. That part, yes. And then stage five there with all those pyramids and the Moai heads and stuff. And there, there's a lot thrown at you. And it's interesting that you went with the shield. And I can understand why. Because there's a lot of things gone. This is stage five is where I loved the uh, weapon type four. Because you just absorbed everything. And then you just sort of fired a giant cannon forward. That is uh, weapon type four, fully powered up, and then having the uh, full fire on that. It's, that was my first choice for hitting that stage. But if I, for some reason, I had to start over, lost a life, or had to catch up on it, the homing missiles to me were really good at hitting stuff before it even had a chance to fire. That was my second option for stage five. In <laughs> fact, I originally used a shield, but then. I stopped grabbing that power up altogether. Right. I didn't see as much, and I didn't even realize this until later. But you can actually change the speed of your ship. Oh yes. By hitting the select button, and that—I mean, it's not like it's as um, necessary as you would in like later games or games that we discovered earlier this year, such as Einhander. But it made a big enough difference that I was able to maneuver faster, and thus the shield became of less importance. So I could focus on stuff such as homing missiles if I had, let's say, weapons one or maybe even weapon three. But if I had weapon two or if I had weapon four, most of the time I was going for full fire. Hmm. Interesting. So shield shield became a little bit of a non-factor for me in this. Yeah. One thing to note about the shield, and it's, it's, I found this interesting, is a lot of times 
I would, in stage five, I would get the shield and I would just get absolutely pelted with bullets as I was leading up to that boss, uh, you know, in that sort of gauntlet that I mentioned. And then a lot of times I would either lose the shield or what have you when I was at the boss. But when I made it to the boss with the shield, one of the things I discovered is that this game has a rank system. And we can get into that a little bit later, but the shield does factor into the rank system where when you reach a boss with the shield, especially the later bosses, they will be more aggressive to you because you have that shield. That was what we covered within Xanic. To remember, there's a specific weapon type that you could get within the original Xanic. Yeah. That was similar to shield. And as soon as you got that, the game says, all right, you got a shield. We're going to throw everything we got at you now. Yeah, that was the number two weapon. I wonder if they're, I wonder if they, <laughs> again, compile developed. I wonder if there was a little bit for that. All right. Yeah. Uh, now, the next one of the uh, sub weapons or, or sub power ups is the M icons which gives the ship what's called a multi-body, or sort of a trailing option, similar to what you have in the Gradius series. Uh, and so these will shoot out additional projectiles. Uh, now, depending on what primary weapon you have, this will change the type of attack that it'll do. Uh, you can equip up to two multi-body options, and then if you pick up additional multi-body icons after that, it'll sort of change the color of them from a blue to this bright kind of yellow green and will enable them to actually deflect enemy fire or absorb some bullets for a limited time. Uh, and then when you get to the end of that, they'll sort of flash for a little bit and then turn back blue again. I found this very useful and actually multi-body was my kind of sub power up of choice for a little while until I started experimenting with homing lasers and then shield and then full fire. But I found that bullet absorption thing really only works when you're specifically using it, which means maneuvering around the screen a lot in order to position yourself so that the options are out in front of you or the multi-bodies are out in front of you so that they're able to absorb bullets. Because um, when you move, of course, they're going to move with you. And so you have to kind of swing around and then back down to the bottom in order to make them do that. So you put your, you almost put yourself in more danger every time you have to kind of swing around and then move back down in order to position them. Uh, and so it's a delicate balance when you're using that one. Yeah. And the multi-muddies are definitely useful, but it's something that I didn't, the risk reward for me wasn't it wasn't there for the majority of the types. If I was using weapon one, I found myself going for more of the multi bodies than as if I was using let's say weapon four, three, or or in even two. It's it's a different play style and it's something that is a cool idea, but its practicality to me just wasn't there. Hmm. See, I found uh, weapon two with the multi body was actually quite effective because. You had two additional, you know, if you had two multibodies, then you had two additional uh, waves that you could shoot out. And so if you position yourself properly, you can either really concentrate that fire with those waves in one line or move around the screen a little bit and spread it out so that you just have more firepower going up to the top of the screen and just taking out more enemies even faster. So I don't know. I found some, some use out of it. I could definitely see that on there. It's the same way you're dealing with the 
options, and you know, harkening back to Gradius 3, where we had different types of options, and some people preferred the, the, the I think it was an S formation, where other people preferred the to have them actually circling the ship. There, there's there's many what different ways to do it, and I have to say this game seems really well balanced. There's multiple ways to attack, I, at least as far as the weapon structure goes. I know that the game is is overly easy compared to most standard shooting games, but as far as the weapons go, I found everything to have a purpose. Yeah. Uh, now, the last of the four sub-weapons is the F-Icon, which, as we've mentioned a few times here, stands for Full Fire, and it will transform or upgrade your primary weapon in some fashion. So, if you combine Weapon 1 with Full Fire, it turns your Photon Blaster into these sort of large fireballs that explode on contact, uh, and then they shoot out the Photon shots in multiple directions. Uh, the higher your number one weapon level is, the faster these shoot out. That I would consider to be, unless you know where everything is going to be and how to anticipate those things, possibly the worst weapon combination in the game, number one and full fire, because you don't have any any protection other than right in front of your ship. And so you, you really have to know where stuff is so you can shoot it and allow that those photon blasts then sort of ricochet out from from the sides to take out other stuff. Uh, it's, it's difficult to wield. Yeah, I definitely agree. Here, I would much use the multi-body or homing missiles if I was using weapon number one. Right. Uh, now, weapon number two, combined with the full fire, will f- shoot out additional waves from behind your ship that sort of shoot out and then curve forward and then, you know, go upward. The higher level wave means that more waves shoot out from behind the ship with a wider range. So if you're full power level 5 or 6 on your uh, on your number 2 weapon, you'll have at least 4 or 5 waves that will shoot out from behind the ship and then sort of curve up in sort of this wide pattern that comes up. And so it just adds more more firepower that you're throwing at enemies. And so it's, it's a reasonably good combination. Yeah, I found this pretty good for early on in stages one, two, and three or so. Did a pretty good job clearing stuff, especially in stage three as you're just dealing with multiple things that your shots, sorry, get in the way of your shots or you're trying to destroy. Does really good for clearing out those areas. Yeah. Uh, Weapon number three, the Field Thunder, combined with full fire, turns it into a green homing laser which fires straight out from your ship and then will turn in 90-degree angles and seek out targets. Sometimes the laser will home in on an enemy and circle around there to damage it until it's destroyed. Uh, Going into the playthrough last month, this was my favorite combination because I remember having a lot of fun with it back when I played it years ago. But digging into this game a little bit more specifically... uh, I would say that that's that's diminished somewhat. There's definitely spots where it makes sense and it's quite useful, but in a place like level 3, which is a sort of caravan-type level where there are a ton of enemies coming at you and uh, obstacles and things that you have to deal with, it can be very frustrating because it doesn't always hit the targets, or you'll hit a target and then it'll shoot off to the side rather than circling around to the next enemy on screen, and so... It's not so much a homing laser as I'm not even sure how I would refer to it. 
it just it doesn't shoot out and seek out all targets until it either expends itself or you know there's nothing left to to shoot it's just very erratic in the way that it works it's not very predictable which makes it more difficult to wield and subsequently a lot less useful i wouldn't go so far as to say it's useless like you have or nearly useless but certainly it's a lot more situational than i previously thought yeah, you know, I wouldn't say call it useless either. I would call it a frustrating combination, or to give it a better, I better analysis, I would call it the autocorrect weapon, because while it, <laughs> while it has its uses, most of the time it just sort of does its own thing. And when you're in, the, when you're trying to fight out and kill a specific enemy, I don't want it trying to. To crack, to go. Oh no, this enemy takes priority. No, I want to be able to tell. This is what enemy is going to take priority. Not let the game decide. And it's not good enough yet, where it can stand on its own. There are games where that stuff has changed. Specifically, the Raiden series. And when you got that home, the homing toothpaste. Hmm. In Raiden 5, and I can't remember it's in the earlier games, but specifically within Raiden 5, that homing toothpaste, it it's just sort of sitting out there going, all right, I know you're coming, and it just kills the enemies. Right. It's fully there. This is like a partially realized idea where it's not quite there. Again, that's why I call it the autocorrect. Because sometimes it does a good job, and sometimes it doesn't, but I don't want to leave it within it the game's hands to tell me what it should be prioritizing. Right. The real question is, if you said full fire field thunder really fast to your phone, what would autocorrect interpret that as? <laughs> I'm sure someone's going to tell us or tweet at us. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and then um, with weapon number four, the ring blaster full fire will send out a volley of rings uh, similar to the orbs that rotate around your ship. The higher your number four weapon level, the more orb rings shoot out up to three in a formation at full power, making the number four weapon much more offensive than it is by default. Now you already mentioned that, uh, that you were using this and I did. And I, I never used to like the number four weapon, with the full fire at full power, I do. And I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I attempted a number four full fire run, but I found that, and I don't know if it's just because I get nervous and I still run into stuff or bullets get through the formation of orbs, but I still never was able to fully get through that uh, gauntlet in level five of the pyramids and moa heads and all that stuff to reach the boss with the full fire and the number four powered up i always died before that and had to just kind of cheese my way through that i also never was able to make it through the last section of the boss rush with all those enemies coming in from the sides with uh the full fire mostly because i never made it that far with the power up still intact something took me out prior to that so if I had made it that far with that power-up intact, that probably would have helped because you've got that protection on the sides 
and then with all those orbs shooting out, you create a wide enough swath of of destruction that you can probably mitigate most of that. But uh, unfortunately, I never I never quite made it that far with that power up intact. Yeah, it definitely takes some skill, and or and you have to know where the enemies are coming from. I wouldn't recommend it for your first playthrough on there. I would recommend someone starting out with this game to try the blazing laser option or number three for starting out. Four is more like an advanced option. Even then, you're not going to be using it the entire game. I mean, I would consider it a little bit suicidal to try that in stage three or the caravan stage. You're going to be looking for a little bit faster weapon there. You're going to be looking for maybe two in order to get through that stage because there's just so much that you need to cut through. In four, while being well with full fire, and you do get a lot of destruction, it's a slower rate of fire. Yeah. And they do stay on, on there. So, yeah, even I mean, if you look at a lawn play on this game, even they don't stick with number four for the entire game. But switching between two and four is a good way to keep the balance and keep yourself in full power-up mode all the time. And if you can do that and then switch over to four and have everything set up for the boss rush at the start of stage nine there, you, you can really wreck it and get your score up. I'm going to wreck it. Yes, you are. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now, this next one that we're going to talk about here, I... Well, I'll let you talk about it, then I'll <laughs> put it here. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, the other thing to note is that for, for every time you pick up one of the sub-weapon icons, you'll get a bomb added to your stock. And you can carry a maximum of 16. Uh, but when you die, your bomb stock gets reset to the default, which is 3. Yeah, the bombs is something that... Throughout all of my playthroughs on this game, I completely forgot that they were there. And I have to credit all these Damaku games that I've been playing. You know, I was I was playing Kits, Kitsui, which, you know, it's not as much, but I was playing a lot of uh, uh, Mushihime, some uh, uh, Futari, or a lot of Futari. Even then, I was playing uh, or S, um, Espigluda 2. And then the other one I was playing was um, Daifukatsu. Mm. And all of those games have just been so conditioned to bomb, so that way, bomb is for survival, keep it for score. And just they, that mentality just keeps through to any of the standard games where I completely ignore the bombs. Especially in this game where it actually wants you to bomb and reward you with extra bombs so that you can. I mean, and the bombs in this game are also their way of g helping you start out again and avoid the Gradius Syndrome. If you die, you at least have a way of damaging enemies so you can make it through and get that power up. Yeah, you know, that I'm, I'm kind of in a similar situation, except I haven't necessarily been conditioned not to bomb. I just sometimes forget that I have them. But in this game, I definitely tried to make use of them more because they are so useful and because you get to carry so many of them. You know, a lot of games, they'll, you'll cap out at five or six bombs or maybe even ten bombs, but 16? That's, that's quite a lot. And there were a few times when I was able to pick up enough uh, icons that I had a full bomb stock. And so 
It's nice to be able to, like you said, when you die in order to avoid Gradius Syndrome, to be able to throw out a bomb or three uh, so that you can destroy incoming enemies and then start to build some power-ups back up. Definitely. And speaking of power-ups, let's take a look at the purple gel pickups. Say that three times fast. Purple gel pickups. All right. The purple gels can be collected as a way to power up the primary weapon. Now, this is another compile staple. When we talked about Zanik earlier, we talked about chips and chips from there in order to upgrade your primary weapon. So, one purple gel will upgrade your weapon from level 0 to level 1. Two additional gels upgrade them your weapon from level 1 to level 2. Four more gels will upgrade from level 2 to 3. And eight more gels will upgrade from level 3 to 4. 12 more gels will upgrade from level 4 to 5, and 16 additional gels will upgrade from level 5 to 6. Now there's a particular type of enemies known as Harriers will drop purple, excuse me, drop power-up icons to pick up when you destroy them. The silver or blue Harrier pods will drop purple gels. The gray Harrier pods will drop both primary and secondary power-ups. The green Harrier pods will drop a weapon pickup that will cycle between either all four primary or all four sub-weapons. And this is the, the most important thing in the game, in my opinion. <clears throat> if you shoot the power-up icon as it descends or as it ascends, there it will stop in place and stay on the weapon type for a few moments. If you continue to shoot at it, it will convert into a flashing smart bomb that will destroy all, all enemies and bullets on the screen. <clears throat> if you let the cycling power-up reach the bottom of the screen, will convert into a smart bomb. For each smart bomb you collect, you convert a standard life to your stock sorry, a standard life in your stock to a special life. For special lives you respond immediately upon death instead of having a return to checkpoint. And that makes all the difference in the world in this game. Having that ability to respawn where you die. Making these the most important power ups in the game. What about you? Did you find this to be the most important thing in the game? Um, I don't know about the most important, but certainly an important element. Uh, and I didn't even know about it until one of the nights that I was streaming. And uh, I believe it was Sir Flash who came in and was mentioning that on the on the stream that, uh, you know, let those let those cycling power ups go to the bottom of the screen so that they'll turn into smart bombs. Because then when you collect those, then it will convert a life into a special life because I was I was ruminating on the whole well sometimes when you die you respawn and other times you restarted a checkpoint and I could never figure out why you did one or the other well then when he mentioned that then it clicked and suddenly it was like oh so if I want to respawn then I need to make sure that I'm allowing those power-ups to go to the bottom of the screen or let them come down enough so that when I shoot them uh, to convert them into a smart bomb that I have room on screen and time to go up and grab them because then I can convert those uh, special lives. And that makes the little ship icon in the bottom right corner that shows you how, what your life stock is, it converts that to a yellow kind of colored ship instead of a, a blue and white. And that tells you that the current life that you're on is a special life rather than a standard life. Yeah, and there's a special... I think it's in Stage 7, if I remember correctly. I was watching a long play, and 
the player was waiting and waiting and let one of those smart bomb just sitting there. He got to the mid-boss, and then right as the mid-boss triggered, he touched it, and it just blew up the mid-boss and gave him an extra special life. It's like, that is definitely the way to do it. Mm, yeah. Yeah, and you can and you can stack them. That was one of the things that he made sure to tell me is that even if you don't collect or or reach a score level when you collect the smart bomb to earn another extend, it will allow you to stack them so that let's say you have 7 lives right now and you collect 3 smart bombs, well you don't get another one up in the time that you're collecting those 3 smart bombs, but that means that the current life and then the two lives after that will be special lives. Um, and so you'll be able to respawn multiple times. Very, very useful and something that, yeah, it's very important to learn how to do that because that really helps in order to make more progress throughout the game. Yeah, the appearance of the Harrier enemies is apparently, well, at least according to the facts, uh, on the Schmutz form tied to a carrier points mechanic in the game. As you destroy enemies, you accumulate these carrier points, which various enemies worth off differing amounts. Once you've reached 256, a Harrier enemy will spawn. Every eighth Harrier will be a green one, which will yield the cycling weapon or sub-weapon icon. Yeah, and I did not know that pattern. Uh, similar to kind of the the pattern that uh, Duke Togo was talking about in the Xanak episode, where the numbered weapon ships that come down always come down in the order of of 1 through 7 or 0 through 7. And so in, in this same kind of similar fashion, you know, it's every eighth Harrier is one of those green ones. And so if you destroy more enemies uh, and make it your mission to shoot everything basically so that you can make more of the Harriers appear more frequently then you can then in turn get more of those green Harriers to show up so then you can farm for those smart bombs and those special lives definitely cool I didn't heard that before alright so we also have a hidden 8 way power up in the game special thanks to Zach Keeney from the Shmup Forum the game includes an 8-way shot that is otherwise not mentioned. To obtain it, you must empty your bomb stock and collect only purple gels and no primary or secondary weapon pickups. Do this without dying and a green harrier will appear. Shoot that and a new power-up weapon will be available, which looks like a splashing version of your ship. Yeah, and I wish I would have known about this earlier in the month. And... You know, that's one of the things where I need to start looking up these details earlier in the month and post this on the forum so that people can try these things out. But I tried to accomplish this, and I was not able to do it. Um, when you're not using any sub-weapons, and when you're not collecting regular weapon power-up icons so that you can power up more quickly and become more formidable, the game becomes a little bit more difficult. Uh, you don't so play. Yeah, so I I was not able to accomplish this when I was trying it earlier. So I'll have to, I'll have to go online and look up a, a playthrough or something and see if I can see someone who's actually managed to do it. But I would have a feeling that the eight-way eight shot would be relatively powerful 
Now, one thing that the that the forum notes is that you can combine it with the number one and the number four. So I would think that the eight-way shot plus the number four weapon, and then add on something like homing missiles or what have you, would really be a lot of firepower. So I don't know. That seems like it yeah. would be fun to wield. Yeah, it was sort of like the um, what those old cartoons where like someone pulls out a gun and then someone else pulls out a bigger gun. And by the end of it, you got someone who's got like a gun shooting guns or something like that. And you've got, you know, you, you've got like uh, just or this gun that instantly has like eight arms that go, goes into other guns. It feels like you're getting into Borderlands type territory here or cartoons. Yeah. A gun that shoots other guns. Oh, they, they, they have that there. Uh, I don't I wonder if that's Enter the Gungeon. Sarah mentioned that on, on the stream. I can't remember oh. which game it is, but there is a gun that shoots shotguns. Right. Kind of reminds me of that meme. Don't talk to my me or my son or my son's son or my son's son's son <laughs> again. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's like, let's, let's have a bazooka that shoots machine guns, that shoots shotguns, that shoots handguns, you know? Let's get crazy. <laughs> oh, I'm sure that's coming. We're... As we record this, we're about a week away from Borderlands 3, so you betcha anything's possible, I'm sure we'll see it in that game. Each 8-way icon collected, sorry, picking up a number 2 or number 3 weapon will disable the 8-way shot, but reacquiring a number 1 or number 4 icon will re-enable it. Each 8-way icon collected in this manner will increase a hit encounter by 10. Every pickup of a primary or secondary weapon or level up via purple gels will decrease the counter by one. When the counter reaches zero, the eight-way is gone. Error three will allow for stocking up on eight-way icons due to all the purple gels, and there are a lot of purple gels on that stage. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's purple gel palooza. So, moving on to the controls, um, it's all pretty basic. The As you mentioned before, the select button will change your ship speed between four different settings. Uh, the default speed is two, um, but you can go to uh, the one, which is slower, and then, of course, three and four, which go uh, progressively faster. The run button will pause the game. The number two button, at least on the turbo graphics, will fire your primary and secondary weapons, and then the number one button releases a bomb. Now, one thing that I'll mention is the game has auto-fire already included in it, but I was playing around with this because, of course, the TurboGrafx-16 stock controller allows for two different levels of turbo. And so I turned up the turbo to the top level and was messing around with the number one weapon, and it actually shoots that out in these sort of really quick bursts so instead of just a steady stream of of photon blasters coming out, it shoots out these really fast bursts of them. And I found that to be quite useful. So that may be something that would be fun to try with the number two weapon as well, because it actually shoots them out faster than what the standard rate of fire is. So that could uh, that could be useful in, you know, giving you a little bit of an edge. Definitely sounds interesting. I'll have to give that a shot. And uh, there are also a number of secrets and cheats that we've kind of compiled between uh, 
the Shmups Forum, and some information on game facts. At any point during the game, if you hold down Run and press Select, you can sort of do a soft reset of the game, which is a nice feature. At the title screen, uh, after pressing Run uh, at the title screen, if you hold Select until the game begins, it'll give you 30 credits, so you can have more continues. There's some hidden difficulty options in there as well. So uh, during the title or intro screens, if you hold select and then press the number one button, uh, the bomb button, ten times, that'll take you to a screen where you can choose between hard human and then the default of normal dog uh, difficulty levels. If you repeat that code once more, you can add the Supermania difficulty level, and then one time after that, and you will unlock the God of the Game difficulty level, which is the hardest. Once you have your preferred difficulty selected, then you do a soft reset to exit that screen. I tried the Hard Human difficulty, and it is definitely noticeably harder. Uh, bullets go faster. They fire more frequently, enemies are more aggressive, and so it's definitely a step up. I can only imagine how difficult Supermania or God of the Game are. So, I mean, if you're an absolute Blazing, mas blazing Lasers uh, Masterclass kind of player, then, you know, check out those harder difficulties and maybe give yourself an extra challenge. Yeah, it's not as uh, <laughs> offensive... The names, as we dealt with in last month's for Strikers 1945, too. I don't see... I mean, dog is there, but we don't see, like, hey, a monkey could beat this type difficulty. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the game has a sound test. Uh, at the title screen or intro screen, press left and right eight times. Uh, apparently, this doesn't need to be done particularly quickly, but it does need to be done accurately. Uh, then, while you're in sound test mode, if you press bomb and then shoot and select 21 times, you will be in the debug mode. If you enter the sound test code during the intro, a ship or laser blast may appear at the bottom of the screen. Otherwise, there's no, not necessarily an indication that you're in debug mode, other than now you can select sounds higher than the label of 4C. And so, when you're in debug mode, use the... Uh, Level select, uh, let's see here. Oh, the level select, so zero, 0 will get you to level 0, which I, I guess is the intro, and then zero, 09 will take you all the way up to level 9. If you use the level select to go to the level that you want, then hold down 1 and 2 and press start to begin that level, you'll start with 10 lives and 10 bombs, which gives you a little bit of a leg up. If you select 83 from the debug, it's it starts with half game with lots of satellites. I'm not entirely sure what that means. I did not try it. Uh, and then if you enter 77 is the code in the debug mode, uh, then press up and down before leaving debug, you'll have invincibility. Uh, if you go to the, the sound test, uh, if you enable the sound test cheat, and then press 1, 2, and then select 22 times. Then hold select and run until the game starts. You'll start out at the beginning of the game with 30 continues. 
Apparently you can view the ending if you hold right and keep pressing run quickly at the title screen. Uh, that's another one that I didn't, I didn't try. Uh, here's another interesting one that I, I saw was uh, if you don't shoot any of the bosses on odd numbered levels, so like one, three, five, seven, and nine, then you'll receive lives, bombs, and the score the boss leaves. So you'll get 16 lives, you'll get 36 bombs somehow, and then you'll get double the score that you would normally get by regularly defeating those bosses. So essentially it's just timing them out, which is interesting. I didn't know you could do that. So that might be a fun one to try at some point just to see what that does. Yeah, that was definitely a lot of fun to do in Einhander is to just sort of wait out the enemies. And then I can't remember if it was stage six or not. The one that just sort of said peace out or exit stage left and just jumped off the uh, carrier. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, stage five or six. I think you're right. Speaking of the bosses and the stages here, let's talk a little bit about the graphics. Now, this game has bright and colorful graphics. A little bit of parallax, and we know that the TurboGrafx-16 was not a powerhouse in the parallax. So it's pretty impressive when it does have it. Here, you wrote in here, it could have used a little bit more. I agree. But again, this is a pretty early game for the PC Engine. I think what they pulled off here was pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was nice when they had the parallax effect in the Starfield or in levels where you had some f sort of background elements that were, were foreground to the star field itself in the background. So there was the star field effect underneath of some scenery. But I felt like in places, especially something like level four, where you had all of the kind of biological stuff going on, similar to Life Force or Abadox, that I think could have used a little bit of a parallax effect to give that some depth and uh, make that level feel even maybe bigger and creepier than it was intended, you know, already kind of set up to be. Fair enough. I mean, if this had been on the Genesis, I'm sure you would have seen it. But again, the, it would have been pretty hard to do. In fact, it was one of the reasons why Castlevania Bloodlines was shown and continues to be shown off as a marquee title for the system because it does have the parallax scrolling, and a lot of it. Right. Uh, I definitely agree that there is some cool boss designs on here. Every this the space pickle and stuff. As much as we joke about, there's it's definitely unique in something I see here. And I have to say, is standout for me is the boss of stage eight, the bubble stage. Where the oh, the skull, skull the, the skull door that just start, once you destroy the skull it burst and you got the eyeballs and stuff falling that is a standout boss and I also like Triangle Man or uh, the the first stage boss hmm. I mean it's pretty neat to see it split up into different pieces and different parts it did enough to separate itself I mean when you think about where the TurboGrafx 16 slash PC Engine came in. It came in at the very end, tail end, like 87, 88. I mean, that's a, that's sort of around in North America where... Uh, I realize I'm talking about two different markets here, but, but the NES started hitting its stride and became a mainstay in 87. Yeah. And, and you're talking about 8-bit. 
and at this at this t time, here comes the TurboGrafx-16 with much brighter colors. And here, and watching enemies <clears throat> split apart and dealing with stuff on here, it's definitely visually impressive. It's something that you wouldn't wouldn't normally see until let's say maybe around 89, 90, or as you start to get into the early years of the Sega Genesis. Right. And you, you uh, sorry, is is there a boss on here that particularly strikes with you, or are you going with the uh, muscular skull? Um, no, Skulldor I actually thought was a little bit derivative, but maybe that's because we've seen stuff like that in in other games, not necessarily in other shmups that we've covered, but it's kind of a motif that was used throughout the 80s and early 90s in in action games. No, the ones that stood out to me were definitely the the space pickle, <laughs> you know, space parasite, Tarox the Great from level 4 was kind of a standout just because of its weird design. The Gatling gun was kind of a neat power or a neat boss. I, I felt like they could have done more with that um, because the, you know it appears to have all these cannons on the front, so it could have its attack pattern could have been a little bit more, a little bit more varied or what have you. But yeah, and and even the Triclops I thought was a pretty cool boss. The last boss was interesting. <laughs> you know, with the with the different different phases and so yeah. forth. Even with the the whole floating space siren weirdness notwithstanding, you know, at least it was unique and, and different. Yes, it, I will definitely say that it, it they they were memorable. The majority of the bosses were memorable, and, and we had talked about this here with some of the motifs, um, such as the bubble theme for Area Eight, the Moai heads in Area Five, and the bio theme or the life force theme. In stage four, and, and again with the Skuldor boss, <laughs> it's hard to a little bit hard to tell it, where it's paying homage versus where it's ripping off. And especially if we talk about stage eight, because Gradius three came out the same year that Blazing Lasers slash Gunhead, or at least Gunhead did, except Blazing Lasers slash Gunhead came out first. The arcade version of Gradius three came out in November of eighty nine. So it's a little bit hard to tell who's copying who. It just may be that, you know, we got these where a great idea is a great idea, and it multiple people are thinking at the same time, and you just sort of get that weird coincidence. Must have been something in the water over in Japan. <laughs> Someone go, Mr. Bubble. Hey, I know. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, it's just one of those weird coincidences on there. And it's it's a little bit too easy to say that it copied Gradius because it seems so so obviously a Gradius thing. We're having a bubble stage, right? But you know, it, yeah, it's weird because it didn't come out until November, and then the first time it came over to the U.S. for Gradius Three was on the PlayStation Two collection. It's just well, the arcade version, yeah. The arcade version, yes, yes. I, I don't mean the Super Nintendo version that came out with the launch, but. Yeah, it's really interesting on there. I, one of these days, I would like to see an interview and actually say what, whether this was just sort of happy coincidence, or maybe they they went to Konami and said, "What you guys working on?" <laughs> yeah, but interestingly enough, of course, is now 
Konami owns Hudson. So it sort of comes full circle regardless. <laughs> <laughs> it does. Uh, the power wave effect, you said it can be a little bit dizzying if you concentrate. Yeah, and I think I agree on here. It can be, if you stare at it, I agree. But overall, I didn't find too much problem. You care to elaborate a little bit? Yeah. You know, I think it's just the, the graphical effect that they used in order to make the power wave appear to be shooting out so fast is, uh, I almost want to say that because it's a 240p type game, they may be using a little bit of trickery to make those waves appear to move so fast by essentially alternating frames where one frame makes the waves appear in positions one, two, four, six, and or two, four, six, and eight. And then the alternating frame is positions one, three, five, seven, and nine or whatever on the screen. And so I think maybe it's using that kind of effect to make it appear like the wave is shooting really fast and, and it's flashing while it's doing that. You know, there were a lot of developers that did the, that kind of trickery. I don't know that for sure, but that's just thinking about it and looking at how it behaves. That's kind of my theory. Yeah, it's an interesting theory. Although now every time I hear the word power wave, I get, get Terry Bogart stuck in my head on there. <laughs> Same power wave. Uh, all right. So, again, we had talked about this earlier on here, but coming from the Sega Master System or the uh, Mark III era and the Famicom slash NES area, it shows that the home market was starting to mature at the end of the 80s and early 90s. And a lot of the stuff that's been so impressive from the Game Center slash arcades were coming home. there, And... A lot more people were picking up these machines and leaving out the game. So I don't think that it was until Street Fighter 2 that we really saw a revitalization of the Game Center slash arcade scene. Right. But it's interesting that the PC Engine particularly started to see a lot of conversions of mid to late 80s arcade games. And there were a lot of shmups included in that. So you, you saw games like Sidearms, Ordine. You saw Fantasy Zone, Kyo Kyoku Tiger. R-Type. R-Type, yeah. And uh, a lot of these games were, you know, big hits in the arcade, and they were impressive in the arcade. And you started to see these reasonably good conversions coming to systems like the PC Engine and the Mega Drive in Japan. And what is impressive to me is... The PC Engine, at its core, is still an 8-bit system. It has that 16-bit graphics processor, so it's capable of doing more than the Mark III or the Famicom. But, um, you know, and the sound hardware was more advanced. But at the end of the day, it's still an 8-bit CPU. So it was really impressive what you were able to do with, with this home console. And so... With, with titles like Blazing Lasers that were developed for the home console specifically, you began to see them taking advantage of that hardware and doing some impressive things with it that certainly were a cut above what you could do in the previous generation and starting to come more in line with where arcades were at. 
Now, of course, arcade technology during the lifespan of the PC Engine and Turbo Graphics would advance quite a bit. I mean, by the time you got to the the end of the PC Engine lifespan in Japan, you know, you were already going from, the, say, the Capcom CPS One to the CPS Two, and I think maybe even the beginning of CPS Three, and you were seeing more advanced Neo Geo titles, and you know, a lot of arcades were were moving toward more advanced hardware and making games that could never realistically come to a system like the PC Engine or even the Super Nintendo or or Genesis. But it was interesting that it came out at just the right time to where that hardware felt like it was catching up with the arcades at some level. Yeah, the I definitely agree. The 8-bit hardware at that time had been... You know, the Famicom came out in 83, and so that's a long time. They definitely tried expansions such as the Famicom Disk System and there with the add-on and the sound add, but she in the different mappers on there but by this time we started to deal with the in-betweens or the emergence of technology and how much it started to catch up and you were getting that arcade experience at home we weren't quite up to the next generation such as the playstation because that wasn't until 94 <clears throat> or the you know dealing with the, the 3do wasn't quite with the <laughs> No one would call the 3DO an arcade system. But it it's really is an interesting transition time. And I feel that the PC Engine has a lot more in lines to what people would call today the Dreamcast. You know, a transition system that was ahead of its time. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. The people who found it and people who played it loved it. And we're very passionate about it. I mean, even think about it. Look what it launched with here in the U.S. It launched with Keith Courage. <laughs> now, you know, memes aside and all that stuff, Keith Courage is so unlike anything that came up before it. <clears throat> or China Warrior. China Warrior is not a great game. But looking at the sprites and what they're able to do, that's sold a lot of consoles. Well, comparatively, a lot of consoles. Right. And it just was stuff that people hadn't seen before. And as you mentioned, some of this stuff, or the stuff. The other thing I want to add into your discussion or or add to the discussion is that you had ta talked about bringing out all the arcades. But Nintendo had, a, or Namco had a spat with Nintendo. They were one of the earliest licensees on the Famicom. And when they tried to renegotiate for royalty lights, Namco said, eh, no, thank you. Remember, that's how it became with the. A lot of Namco games ended up on the Tengen releases, or the Black Carts here in the U.S. Yep. But they were staunch supporters of the PC Engine. A lot of their arcade hits on there, and some ones, it's the only known ports that I know of, like uh, Merchant Maze. Right. Or like I mentioned before, Ordine. Ordine, yes. And there was definitely uh, ones like the, their sports games, or even off the wall, where they had RPGs. In a tennis game. Huh. I forget what the actual name of that is. I'm sure just And uh, for some reason, Wonder Momo. <laughs> but, <laughs> but just all these different types of games were being brought over. And not just by Hudson themselves. It was just definitely an interesting experience that, that started with the PC Engine. And then, of course, with the Mega Drive slash Genesis would take that much further. 
Yeah. All right. Do you have anything you wish to add on the graphics as we move on to the sound of music? Nope. I think that pretty much caps it. All right. So the sound music is, at least to me, a lot of a mixed bag. The sound effects on there range from subtle and fitting too loud and grating, or in your case, you put annoying. Yeah, uh, it's just uh, rubber wife, and you're like, what? What does it say? It's a, it's sort of, you know, it's sort of bad when you're trying to figure out what it is, and you're hearing that type of speech, and then all of a sudden you hear uh, the Nintendo system could do Ghostbusters or something like that. When that <laughs> sounds better than just rubber wife, you know, you definitely have an issue there. Right. No one's, no one's gonna come to bat saying. Oh no no no! The so- the uh, <clears throat> speech in the game is great, and I mean the sound effects are pretty good. The speech is terrible, but some of the sound effects can be a little bit annoying. Overall, it really just the problem lies with the speech. Right, and and see, yeah, it's it's weird because uh, D Tungsten noted during one of my streams that when there was a couple of spots where a lot of popcorn enemies, the little faint explosion noise that it was making when I was destroying them, he said actually sounded like popcorn popping. (laughs) Uh, And so, you know, the explosion, some of the explosions were kind of understated. Uh, Some of the weapon noises are a little annoying. Or then you have things like the number one weapon, which when you're firing it, makes no noise at all. It only makes noise when it makes contact with an enemy. Yeah. And so it's weird that there's there's no noise for firing the weapon, which... It doesn't bother me because a lot of games do too much with that or it's too um, too forward in the mix. And so it's either covering up the music or uh, it's just grating. Yeah, and I, I could just see someone out in, in the talking to the sound engineer. All right, so you've got that sample of the popcorn popping. All right, no, no, that's, that sounds too clean. Put it through a filter. All right, now make it louder so no one can tell what the heck it is. Perfect. Huh. Yeah, the, as we were talking about on here, sometimes it can really just... I don't, it, it's sort of hit or miss on there. It's not quite as good a sound effect as you want. And, it's again, it's really hard to hear what the heck they're trying to name these weapons on there. You almost feel like it should have just been... The voices should have been cut out all. Maybe it was put in to try and be impressive. Saying this, you know, we're doing it of a development for a next generation game, and that's why they had that in there. Well, see, and that's the thing that that throws me because I don't think the voice samples are bad necessarily, because unlike a lot of the Genesis voice samples that you would get, or even some of the stuff on uh, the NES, like "I'm bad" or "Double Dribble," you know, in in this game the voice samples themselves are clear. They're just not loud enough in the mix to hear what they're actually saying half the time. So when you're collecting a weapon power-up, you know, as I noted in the, or as I put in the notes here, the the voice sample recordings are so deadpanned, they're almost funny because that combined with them being so low in the mix, you really don't know what they're saying exactly. You have to sit there and listen like, did it say Field Thunder or did it say... What did it say? You know, it's hard to it's hard to pick them out. Yeah, there's definitely no emotion, and it's like, you know, sort of, sort of like they just took examples from the Game Sex School of Acting and just threw them in there. <laughs> yeah, 
Now, the soundtrack, on the other hand, there are differing opinions on this. I love the soundtrack. I think it's unique. I think it's interesting. It plays to the strengths of the console and the music that plays in Area 2, even though it's highly repetitive, I just love that track and I have it as a ringtone on my phone that uh, I can pull out from time to time and it's just one of those things that I really enjoy. That, that song is a little bit different from anything else in the game because it has this really sort of hopeful, kind of triumphant sound to it. And there's all the drum sounds and everything. The drum sound is awesome in this game. And that that's part of what makes it for me. But a lot of the music in the game has a really kind of weird, off-kilter kind of vibe to it. And in a weird way, it's, it's, it's fitting to the game. And it's just so unique that, I don't know, it just kind of sticks with me. My opinion of this in the soundtrack is good in small doses. I don't mind it. I think most of it's pretty decent. But it, as the stages are just so long in this game, I think we mentioned this earlier, but you're going to be spending about an hour at least in order to make it through this game, which yes. is very different than what you're going to be. Uh, the Ghost Blade was 20 minutes tops. And you're dealing with three or four minutes, maybe five or six for Strikers 1945 too. So... To have this played over and over again, it started to grate on my nerves. In some, it's, it's not, sorry, it's not a clean sound that you get from this. It's a very raw sound that you get from the soundtrack. And I think that's that, that combined with the repetition is where you get all this mixed uh, mixed opinions on this from the soundtrack. Sure. I mean, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. But I think the I think the samples are good, the drum sounds are good, and you know, as I put in the notes here, it's different than the kind of then typical trend of let's take what we're hearing in hard rock and heavy metal and then make that into chiptune kind of a thing, which can be done to great effect, like we discovered with uh, uh, Thunder Force Four at the beginning of the year, and there are other soundtracks that do that really well, but. I think it was nice that they did something different and kind of went off the beaten path with uh, the music in the game. And I don't think every track is equally good, but I don't know. I just, I appreciate the fact that they did something different. Hey, you know, if it's good enough for Kanye, hey, it's good enough for me. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, it is definitely different. On her, and that could be different good or it could be different bad. And that's why you get the mixed opinions. It's not It's not something that you... You could make the same argument for a lot of the schmucks that we get later on where they're going to go, oh my gosh, it's electronic dance music or EDM over and over again. Right. There's a lot of that stuff that's pervasive in it. It does its own thing, which, you know, good or bad, is definitely different. Yeah. So, as we've now spilled our thoughts on the game, let's go to some impressions from our community. Well, to start off with Crabmaster2000, his initial wording was, Yes, please, when learning about the game. And then Duke Togo posted a picture of Macho Man and Randy Savage saying, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's much better. <laughs> all right, you do all the Randy Savage impressions. 
Oh yeah! <laughs> Step into a slip gym. <laughs> All right. So <clears throat> later post from Duke Togo. I got to stage nine and died in the boss rush. It was pretty hard trying to get through that part for me and blew through a lot of lives. Yeah, I shouldn't mention on here. Most of the time that when you by the time you get to stage nine, if you're doing pretty decently, you're gonna have like thirty plus lives. So that's a lot of lives to blow through. But understandable for the boss rush. If I had some bombs left after stage eight, it would have helped. I'll try to conserve them more next time. I tend to stick to weapon three and the shield, that's blazing laser. And occasionally switching to the firepower with weapon three for the homing shot. Yeah, weapon three with the homing shot is pretty effective. Because you've got the homing shot that's going to take out the popcorn enemies. And then your blazing lasers are going to take out a lot of the larger stuff. It's a pretty effective combo. Alright, later in the thread we have Duke giving advice to Dougley007. Which is great to see. I like all the sharing of strategies and tips and tips and it's like our own how to beat or tips and tricks guide yeah definitely one of the one of the strengths of participating in the game and, and discussing it on the forum yeah it, it, anyone who goes there searching for help don't worry about it. you're not going to be called a scrub or a noob on here all right later post i keep getting back to the same spot in the last level where all the enemies converge so close yet so far with so many enemies coming up behind you at that point, bombs are pretty much useless. And if you're stuck with the default weapon or the number 4 weapon they give you, it feels brutal. I'll just have to get a better run so I can go into that with decent firepower. In his final thoughts, I never managed to best my score, first score of the month, hence no other screenshots even though I played quite a bit. This game definitely feels like a collaboration between Hudson and Compile, and the results are mostly for the best. Unfortunately, some of the weapons don't seem to be worth the time. From the Star Soldier side, Weapon 1 just suffers way too much in the most areas due to lack of penetrating past one hit. It'd be situational, but overall a pass. Weapon 2 is really great at coverage, and versatility makes a regular choice for me. More on the compile side, Weapon 3 is my regular go-to. The ability, excuse me, the ability to penetrate and cover the whole screen as well as moving the shots along with the ship make it very strong. Lastly, number 4 seems very situational, and overall the orbs are too ineffective as a shield and too tricky to use, inoffen uh, use offensively. The secondary power-ups really add a lot to the variety, but I tend only to stick with the shield as I really don't have much issue in taking out enemies on the screen with a powered-up weapon, and shield let me keep just that. If I still did everything I could dodge with the shield, I found I could almost always keep it going until the next one dropped. I could never crack that really annoying part in stage 9, and the difficulty spike in that point seems almost ridiculous compared to the rest of the stage. I get the onslaught, but watching the end boss, it seems the toughest part is just getting past that boss gauntlet to fight it. Overall, great game. The stages are a bit too long for my liking, but it stands up. You know, I, I would have to echo those statements. Uh, the boss rush on stage 9 is definitely the hardest here. And I do believe that it, this game is one of those games that's worth playing today. It is not punishing enough of a shmup to make it really, really hard. But at the same time, it's not overly easy to make a cakewalk. It provides a reasonable challenge with reasonable expectations with graphics and sound that, that hold up pretty well, and it, I definitely recommend grabbing it from the eShop. 
Yeah. That's if you have a Wii U. <clears throat> Overall, I'm glad you could join us, Duke, and definitely enjoy reading your comments. Yeah. Uh, Zoido jumped in and says, I'm in. Uh, and then later in the thread, he says, Lost my weapon during the boss rush in Stage 9 and couldn't recover. I'm still experimenting on my weapon strategy. Weapon 3 with missiles or pods works good, but my weapon of choice so far is 1 with missiles. And then in the very next uh, post on the forum, he says, Same story. Good run until the boss rush in Stage 9 and died shortly after the Stage 1 boss. It's nearly impossible to recover from this checkpoint. And I will echo that statement. Uh, he also says, also struggled a bit in Stage 5. Maybe I need to change weapons for that to take out the pyramids more quickly. Uh, later in the, in the thread he says, I just did another run and it ended at the exact same spot in Stage 9 as the last two runs. No new score, though. <laughs> and then again... Later, he says, score update, uh, where he posts a picture and says, stage nine, and again, my favorite respawn spot. <laughs> uh, and then uh, later, he offers some more thoughts and says, uh, stage seven can be tough if you lose a life or your weapon. The spot right after the mid-boss is tricky because of the many turrets. I try bombing them and get the shield power up somehow. That helps to recover a bit. The stage 7 boss is also a little annoying when you just got the standard weapon, missiles, or the shield thunder make this easier here. <clears throat> uh, and again, later he says, still stuck in the same spot. It's like a curse, but at least I raised my score a bit. And then uh, Zoido offers some final thoughts as well. He said, when I played Gunhead for the first time after a few months at the end of July, I got an instant 1cc with the first try. Unluckily, I couldn't repeat that for the August Shmup Club. To be honest, I haven't played a single run in the last two weeks because I felt a little frustrated, but not because I couldn't clear the game. I always failed at the exact same respawn spot, and it always took me an hour or even more to get there. One time, I did some experimenting with the weapons in Stage 8 to be better prepared at the beginning of Stage 9, and that took me more than one and a half hours just to lose all my extends at my favorite spot, he says in quotes. I got a nice score with that, but not comparable with the scores you get when you beat the final boss. That made me feel like all the time and effort I spent during the last hours were just totally useless and wasted. I really enjoyed the game, and still do, but... Um, even would say it's one of the essential shooters if you own a PCE or Turbo Graphics, but playing for score can be very frustrating. He also says, uh, he, he mentions me and says, when I tweeted my 1cc, you replied that Gunhead would be an easy clear. I wouldn't agree with you on that. It can be an easy clear if you got a nice weapon flow. Uh, I experienced that myself, he says, but this game can also give you hell. It's very forgiving until the boss rush, and it spams you with extra lives. But if you make one mistake during the last stage, those are worth nothing. Anyways, Gunhead is a great game, and I hope to get the CD version someday to play the caravan modes. I will definitely come back to the game now and then to play a run or two just for fun, but I don't see me playing it for score or clear anytime soon. 
Shoutouts to everyone who cleared the game, posted scores, or improved his personal best. And, yeah, um, it's interesting that he mentioned that, because I'm going to have to come back to that for final thoughts. All right. Yeah, I... It's one... Again, people having issues with the boss rush. It, it's sort of like... Which is early... It would have been nice to not. I don't know. You know, I have to think about this too. Is it if they maybe if they had just they could have doubled the levels? Some here. It felt like when we dealt with the Strikers 1945-2 that the levels there were a lot of levels, but they were bite-sized. You didn't overstay their welcome. And you almost wonder, instead of having mid-bosses, if, this, if those should have just been bosses of their own stages, and then it just continued on. Instead of just going on, because it almost feels in some ways like you're running the gauntlet, especially so, more so on stage 9. And to have all that time where you're 45 minutes into a game, and then just die, and then just start constantly dying, and see your progress right away, is pretty disheartening. In fact, I'd say it's probably the biggest charge I could levy against the game. Yeah. Come back around to this in just a moment, but I'd like to talk about Coin Tengoku's experience. He said, I'm in, or I'm playing. Later post. Read some of the manual today. Tidbit of info. Did you know Gunhead weighs in at 80 tons? Man, it moves <laughs> quick. Later post, and after posting a score. Okay, here we go. Area 3 got hard. And I will have to echo those statements if you don't, for some reason, die at the start of it. or issues. Area 3 can be pretty hard to get going just because of the amount of stuff that will take up your shots. All those little boxes that reveal all those purple orbs on there, if you just got your pea shooter and you're trying to get through that, it's pretty tough. Yes. Later post, awesome job, Zoido. Area 7 is my wall right now. I thought there were only eight levels. I have to do more? Man, I know I may receive some criticism. This game is considered as a classic, but it's just a little too long for me. Not really enough changing for me to love it. I would feel that if all the levels kept at seven, maybe I'll clear it. If I clear it, it'll change my mind. Later post and commenting upon year 1cc. Had a good laugh at that reaction. Thanks for sharing and congrats. That's a big deal, dude. I can't even get past seven still. Oh well, maybe it'll happen by sheer luck. <laughs> and I, I have to say that um, one CC, no matter what game it is on here, it, it's a big deal. It's something to work for, something to strive for. And yeah, dealing with area seven can be a little bit tricky and it can be a little hard. I have to say area six is where it really starts changing up the mechanics of the game. Not terribly so but it's definitely different than anything you've seen before it sort of like gives you this arrow it's like a, almost like a traffic light going hey yeah something's gonna come this way and all of a sudden all these ships start flying in it, it's almost like its version of a zubrush mm, yeah and I, I could see if you were hit by that and having trouble that when you start stage seven you're underpowered and could definitely have a hard time there yeah uh Dougley007 jumped in and says, I just got an LED screen on my Express. And uh, he means a Turbo Express. He actually, I think he posted a picture of that in the thread. 
He says, I might join in and see what I can do with this fine game. Uh, and then later in the thread, he says, just started it, got to level two. I am trying to figure out what powers up my gun and what switches it. And that spurred on some of the conversation between him and Duke Togo, where they were going back and forth talking about the different weapon power-ups and what, uh, what power-up icons gave you which weapons and so forth. And so then uh, later in the thread, he says, Okay, I think I've got it. The only thing I don't know is why I lose my multi sometimes when I get the shield and other times I keep them. And then, of course, uh, Duke Togo answered that question in, in his next post. So again, really appreciate, uh, you know, that discussion on the forum and people jumping in and answering those questions to make sure that everybody kind of knows, you know, how, how to play the game and, and um, you know, just, just to have that good, good discussion going. Yeah, and it's really good to have a conversation without conflict. Yep. And and that's something we strive for. And it, it, I mean, as you can see, with it, everyone's got different opinions on the game. You don't have to like the game. I I found this game a lot more appealing than Zanuck. I know that Zanuck has huge historical significance in shooters, but I just couldn't get into it. And there are certain that's going to happen for anybody on here. There will be games that just don't suit your personal taste. You have problems with. Look at uh, Sir Flash. I mean, he's been playing shmups and talking about shmups for ages upon ages now, and he has problems with our type and just doesn't really care for it. It's historically significant. I personally love the game, but if you just can't get into a shmup, you just can't get into a shmup. Go find a. There's definitely other games that are coming up. You know, such we'll talk about our game for September. It's okay. Yeah, and that's that's one of the great things about what we're doing here is that, you know, we take a look at a game, we play it for a month, and we move on. And if you want to keep playing last month's game or a game from six months ago, go for it. Um, you know, if it's a game that you really found that you've enjoyed or something that has become a favorite, by all means, you know, invest the time so that you can meet whatever your personal goals are for that game, whether it's a a 1cc or a high score or something like that, go for that. I mean, not every game that we play is one that everyone's going to like. You know, there are certain people that like bullet hell games. There are certain people that like old school games. You know, some people tend to prefer games that forge their own path and do something different. You know, so it, it, it's going to vary from, from person to person. And so that's why... This format, I think, works well to give people the ability to dip their toe in, try something out, experience it for a little bit, and then if they don't like it, they don't have to commit too much. Yeah, it's a shmup sampler platter. <laughs> yeah. All right, we have one less comment from the forums here. D. Tunston, I know it's late, but 998360 made it to level 5. Yeah, and I like I said, I think he did that on the Wii U because he mentioned on my stream or one of my streams that uh, he picked it up on the eShop. Yeah, the eShop port looks to be pretty good. Yep. All right. <clears throat> Since we just talked about high scores here, why don't you lead us off with the high scores for the month? Uh, yeah, I ended up getting the highest score during the course of the month because, uh, as I mentioned, I managed to clear it twice. And my second clear, I actually got the higher of the two scores. So I ended up with 
116,180 points, and you really get a huge uh, score boost when you beat the last boss. It's kind of funny because you beat the last boss, and then however many lives you had when you got to the end of the battle, when you get that giant score boost from beating the boss, suddenly you have a ton of lives. So when I <laughs> when I beat the boss um, the second time, uh, I ended up with 54 lives in my stock because of all the extra uh, one-ups that I got just from the score extends. <laughs> yeah, this, this game is very generous with extra lives. You earn a lot of extra lives just through score. Uh, Zoido had the next highest score with uh, getting to his favorite respawn point, as he put it. Uh, he ended up with a total uh, score of 4,477,950 points. And then Duke Togo, who also uh, stalled out at that uh, late stage 9 point, was at 3,031,470 points. Good job, everybody, and uh, thank you to all who contributed scores, and uh, we definitely hope to see more score submissions next month. Yeah, I definitely hope so, too, <clears throat> especially because it's an arcade game. Yes. All right, so final thoughts here on this game. Uh, you know, I wouldn't call this my favorite shooting game or SDG on the PC Engine or Turbo Graphics. But it's a very important one, and it's one that I see myself coming back to. It has flaws, but the flaws aren't with the gameplay mechanics. It, it is long, say that too, so you have to set aside some time. It's not like Strikers 1945 where you could play for five or ten minutes and then you're good. It's not, it's not a very pick-up-and-play game in that respect. It, it doesn't respect your time. As most shmups would, but at the same time, I think that they were, again, this is the arcade experience brought home. And Sega made the mistake when some of the titles are like Space Hero 2. I mean, those are very short games because they were made to bring the arcade experience home. But as we find out, the arcade experience home equals maybe, what, a couple hours worth of playtime at most. Mm. Very short games, so people feel cheated. This game could benefit a little bit from either chopping the stages up or maybe a little bit more of an editorial process in order to redo this. The only other thing that I say is the sound. It works, but again, over, over time it becomes grating to my ears. I will definitely be going back to this game, and I do like it, but it, it, to me, it's if I was looking for something on the PC Engine, I would be playing... Something like uh, Star Soldier, or uh, <clears throat> I really like Nexer, or I mean, all the deck is fun if I was looking for a little bit of curb. But they're they're because the PC Engine is one of the best systems out there for shmups. This ranks lower because there's so many great shmups on that system. It's a very good shmup in its own right, and I, I would think if, if I was to give it, let's say, a letter grade out there, I would definitely give it a solid B. It's just, it's something I like. It's something I will go back to. To me, it's not the best shmup ever. It's pretty solid. But because of the huge amount of stuff on the library for the PC Engine or Turbo Graphics, I most likely would find myself playing a different game. 
Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, kind of following up on Zoido's point of when I mentioned that I thought it would be a relatively easy clear. And I was trumpeting that during the uh, kind of time leading up to the the month and then also once we kind of got into the month uh you know i was saying that at the beginning but i found myself struggling with the game a little bit more than i remember doing um because when i beat this 10 or so years ago i got through it relatively quickly and easily so i don't know if i just really hit my stride on the boss rush and didn't have the problems with it and maintained my power-up level or what it was that I was doing that time that got me through it. But when I was playing it this time, I found it to be a lot more more challenging than I remembered, more nuanced than I remembered, and definitely longer than I remembered. Um, you're, you're right in saying that it doesn't really respect the player's time. Uh, the stages are longer than they need to be. And I will agree that the soundtrack, while it is something that I enjoy and I think is is very fitting for the game and I, I appreciate its uniqueness, yeah, it is something that probably loops a little bit too much and can get annoying by the time you reach the end of the stage. The difficulty spike with stage 9 is frustrating, particularly the, the part after the battle tank prior to getting to the second appearance of the Triclops, where you have the enemies coming in from the side, like Xanak, and then also the big group of those green enemies that come in. I know that's the point where both Duke Togo and Zoido got stuck. And I got stuck there myself many, many times uh, when I would die around that spot or die after that spot. And that became the respawn point. And... Recovery there is almost impossible. Um, at least I found it to be almost impossible. So I will say that's a knock against the game. The other thing that is interesting is that the, the weapon combinations... I used to think that the, the laser weapon with the full fire was the way to go. But playing through it again and you know digging in a little bit deeper, I found that that's not necessarily the case. So I was kind of glad to be proven wrong on that and find that there are other weapon combinations that, that actually work better and are much more, much more suitable to playing most of the game with. And I also like the fact that, you know, you, you found good success with the number four and the full fire, uh, whereas I had good success with the number two and the multibody or the homing missiles. And I also found good success with the number three and either of those options. And so it, the game does offer you a certain degree of flexibility in that sense, uh, which I appreciate. I, I like this game, but I, I think now that I've put more time into it and seen some of the flaws that I didn't see before because I didn't really play it all that seriously, I can see that it's a good game, but it's not in the upper echelon of shoot 'em ups for the console. And it kind of it, it kind of puts me in a position where I, I want to try more of the shooters on there, especially now that I have a few more. You know, for the longest time, Blazing Lasers was the only shmup I owned for the Turbo Graphics. Now I have 
Dragon Spirit, and I have uh, Super Star Soldier, and I have Psychosis, and there are some other ones that I want to get as well. And so it it's making me want to check out some of these other games to see what some of the other titles might do even better than what Blazing Lasers did, or it may have improved upon. Because certainly, I think Hudson, with the Star Soldier games on the console, definitely tightened up the the gameplay and made what I would probably consider now to be maybe slightly more worthwhile experiences than Blazing Lasers. That doesn't take away from Blazing Lasers and its position as a good shoot 'em up that came early in the life of the console, but I think, you know, all things considered, you look at the the totality of the shoot 'em up library on the PC Engine or Turbo Graphics and yeah, there are definitely better shoot 'em ups on that console. And so I think I'm glad that we explored this one and and gave it some time, but now it just it just makes me want to go and look further into the library. Yeah, I definitely agree. And uh, I'd be remiss if I don't mention this for somebody, but Airzonk is certainly one now that is heightened. I want to get more in depth on that because I've heard certainly high praise for that one on the system. Right. And then uh, Soldier Blade is another one. There is just so much that, that is on the system that is worth exploring. And I, I also think that part of it is because at the time that it was relevant, the TurboGrafx-16 in the U.S., if you're going to bring over someone and go, hey, let's play a cool game, you're not going to get this on Nintendo or Sega. You're not going to show them Keith Courage. <laughs> you can show them Bonk, but Bonk's not going to... As much as they try and push it, Bonk's not going to be a system seller. This would be something early that you can show them and go, wow, this looks different. This this looks like an arcade game at home. This is going to leave an impression on people. Yeah. J- just just make sure that you plug the game in and play it for them, and don't just stop at the U.S. box art, because that won't impress anybody. <laughs> oh. uh, yeah, there's a lot of box art that won't impress anybody there. It's, it's talking about the Sega Master System and the guy holding his own head. But anyways, <laughs> it's definitely a good game. Its significance is there. The the is certainly a, a big way in its uh, being remembered fondly as being one of the first and early shmups on there. It means that a lot more people have tried it or said, "Hey, I'm aware of this." The music, yeah, it can be a little bit grating on dealing with it but it's overall i like it and i will probably revisit it but i won't be trying to spend hours upon hours to just get through just get through it if i'm looking for a quick fix i'm going to be playing something like strikers yeah i mean i i after i got my uh my two clears i tried or after i got my initial clear i tried to do some challenge runs where I tried to beat the game with only weapon one or only weapon four, I tried a uh, a run where I did where I got all weapons. I grabbed every weapon power up as it came along indiscriminately to see how far I could get, and I think I got somewhere like level five or maybe seven or something like that. I tried a no sub weapon run, you know, things like that, and and those were all kind of interesting challenges. But ultimately. 
they're they're fun to try out, but they're not very realistic because the game is built upon utilizing the tools that they provide you. And so when you try to do those kinds of challenges, unless you know the game inside and out and and you can deal with all the enemies as they come on screen and be able to perfectly route the game and and move your ship to where it needs to be and shoot everything in a super timely fashion, you know, it kind of falls apart at that point. And so that's not necessarily a fault of the game because they provide you with all the tools that you need. It's just that without additional things to challenge yourself with once you've beat the game, other than upping the difficulty and just making the bullets faster and enemies more aggressive, there's not as much to dig into at the end of it. Yeah, the uh, other thing that I'll just touch base upon, and we talked covered this before, is it's having the different weapon types and the sub-weapon types and having the vast majority of them work does speak volumes to having a good game and a well-balanced game. That is a huge thing in its favor. Even though you were trying different uh, challenge runs or achievement runs, whatever, you, the, the fact that they gave you this stuff and that you could go through with this without making it into a... I mean, no, I don't, I, no one's going to be trying a Gradius run with no speed power-ups and stuff. Huh? <laughs> or no options. No one's going to be trying that stuff. But it's interesting that this game sort of allows you to... Experimentation allows you to experiment with the tools they're giving to you. And it doesn't feel overly punishing, in my opinion, as a credit to the game. Yeah, I would agree with that. <clears throat> so, is there anything you wish to add? I think that pretty much covers it. All right, so... Now that we're moving on, what's coming next? So as we record this, uh, we are already in September. So uh, those of you who are already on the forum or have been joining in with us should be playing Zaxxon, uh, the classic arcade game from Sega from 1982. Uh, and of course, the arcade version you can play. There are ports on the ColecoVision, the 2600, the 5200, the Intellivision, uh, Atari 8-bit computer line, the Commodore 64, uh, and then the arcade version is unlockable on the PlayStation 2 Sega Genesis collection, and then also Sonic's Ultimate Genesis collection that was on both the PS3 and Xbox 360. Yeah, it's like Doom. It's got a, the Zaxxon was part to almost everything. You might even check your toaster to see if it has it. Huh. I don't know. There, uh, I think there are probably more toasters running Doom than running Zaxxon. <laughs> probably true. <laughs> uh, and then in October, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. We're going to be playing a game that I think by modern shmup parlance would not be considered a shmup in the strictest sense. So I'm going to dub it as shmup adjacent. It's related enough and certainly has roots in the genre that I think it, it still matters and it's still something fun that we can do. And that is the PlayStation exclusive N2O or Nitrous Oxide. And this is a tube shooter, which definitely pulls from the sort of uh, Tempest mode or Tempest formula where you control a craft that swings around uh, in either direction around a tunnel or a tube, and you're taking out these various insects 
and it has interesting kind of psychedelic graphics and locations. And the soundtrack is done by the Crystal Method, which was a kind of 90s and early 2000s uh, techno group. And so uh, it's an interesting game. It's one I picked up a number of years ago. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to going back to it because I have fond memories of playing that during my early PlayStation days. You know, if you want to call a, a game of shmup adjacent just to clear out games from your backlog, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I have to do it. Yeah, but I think this one will be fun to explore. It'll be a little bit something different. Kind of, I don't want to say break up the monotony because, you know, we're trying to pick games that that make it different from month to month and and don't, uh, don't settle into too much of a groove. But uh, it definitely will provide a little bit of a a little bit of a break from the, the normal horizontal or vertical scrolling games and uh, give people a little bit different flavor for the month. Indeed. I'd like to give our shout-outs to Sarah Flash of Studio Mudprints, Ball of Heaven for the logo. We have some lovely podcast t-shirts. And where can we find those? Yes, uh, those, were on, those are on redbubble.com. Just search for Shoot the Core or Shoot the Core-Cast, and that'll be the top or one of the top results. And uh, you can buy a shirt and wear it proudly. Support the podcast. Indeed. I also hear it looks quite nice and orange. It does. All right. I'd also like to thank Kogusu for the intro and outro music. Everyone on RFGen and the RFGen Playcast, as well as everyone who joined us for the month. I'd like to thank all those who are working hard for the 2019 RFGen Beat Every NES Game Challenge. And also would like to thank Metalfro for taking the time to set up all the equipment for streaming the Shmup Game of the Month cast. Yeah. Well, thank you. I, uh, I enjoy doing that, and uh, I have definitely already enjoyed, even though I haven't done it more than a couple of times this month, I've I've definitely enjoyed streaming Zaxxon. It's one of those games that, because it's an arcade quarter muncher, you can die pretty quickly. And so it's almost kind of fun to die a lot and just kind of laugh at myself and realize, yeah, I'm not going to ever get it very far in this, but I'm going to try as best I can, score as best I can, and, you know, learn about the game and see what I can figure out. Yeah, it's definitely fun. I mean, I'm sure it beats playing the board game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm just sitting there streaming the board game. All right, your turn. Yeah. <laughs> oh, or, or we're going to have to take a look at the um, handheld version of this. before. I believe that's on the Internet Archive, isn't it? Yeah, one of the handheld versions, there's a, there's a Bandai handheld version of the Zaxxon game that is on the Internet Archive. But the Coleco LCD version that was sort of the little mini arcade cabinet is not. Um, but I know we'll be hearing about that from Zagnorch because he has that. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining and listening. Hope you enjoy, and we'll talk to you again next month. Yep. Thank you so much.